Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 26, 2022, including EA might be looking to sell or merge, Modern Warfare 2 has already been given a release date, Xbox could have had the rights to the Marvel license, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, Minecraft Dungeons released for the Xbox One worldwide in 2020. Hello guys, welcome to episode 155 of the Xbox On podcast. Now, if you listened last week, you know we switched things up. We switched up the formula, the format of the podcast. We did things a little differently and I'm here to say, I think we're going to do the same exact thing this week. Not to say we're going to switch up last week's formula. We're going to we're going to maintain the formula we, we started. Why do I keep saying formula? It's not a fucking recipe. We're gonna we're gonna maintain the format that we that we started last week. I want to try it for a little while and see how it uh, how how people respond to it. So far, a lot of you guys wrote in and, and said some nice things. So hopefully, you guys enjoyed a more streamlined approach to the show. But uh, yeah, just said that at the top. But I guess it's kind of irrelevant to say that at the top of the show because at the top of the show we haven't changed anything. We opened the show with me awkwardly trying to say something to transition from I just got through a day of my day job and now I'm gonna I'm gonna moonlight as an Xbox podcaster in my boxers so whatever here we are all right guys so every week we start out with corrections updates to stories from last week new developments whatnot stories of mild amusement and this week we have a couple of them now Every week right before I record the show, I always do a quick look through. You know, it's like, oh, man, I haven't checked the news in a couple hours. Let me make sure that there's not like a break. You know, let me let me go to Windows Central or VGC and make sure, you know, Xbox didn't just buy McDonald's or something because then I'd feel like an idiot if we just, you know, had the opportunity and missed that news story. So I always double check. And uh, this is one of those weeks where it's like, oh, I haven't checked the news in five hours. Look, there's seven stories I need to I need to add into the show notes. So we got a bunch of new news thrown in here. We got a bunch of news in general. It's a big chunky week, but the real reason I'm bringing this up isn't because we got a lot of news. No, it's because we almost made it through this week without an Activision news update regarding the merger, the acquisition, the sexual harassment lawsuits, all that shit. But no, we got we got we got news on Activision. The good part of it, though, is that it's all good news. It's it's surrounding that story, but it's, it's positive news. So let's just knock it out real quick, guys. So according to Windows Central, or reported by Windows Central, quality assurance workers at Raven Software, who we know since November have been trying to unionize, one of the many game development studios under Activision Blizzard, have successfully voted for a union. The union will be the first under a major North American gaming publisher. The vote passed with a total of 24 votes being cast, 19 were in favor, 2 opposed, and 2 were challenged. The success of the voters garnered celebration for the newly official Game Workers Alliance. I love that it's called that. That's the fucking most nerdy-ass gamer name you could given that anyway in a comment to windows central and activision blizzard spokesperson said we respect quote we respect and believe in the rights of all employees to decide whether or not to support a vote for a union we believe that an important decision that will impact the entire raven software studio of roughly 350 people should not be made 
by 19 employees. All right, so as is traditionally the case with these Activision updates, I, I don't really comment on them. Uh, so that's the news. Take take it as you will, and let's read the other half of the Activision news we got this week, uh, which is relayed from VGC and says, A new anti-discriminatory committee has been set up by 12 current and former Activision Blizzard employees. The Washington Post reported uh, that the new group submitted a list of demands this past week to Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick, the diversity officer Christian Hines, and chief human resource officer Julie Hodges. Among the many demands on the four-page list included workers being able to meet with equal employment opportunity coordinators, ending undocumented chats with human resources, restricting retaliation against employees who file dispute, setting up independent investigation on discrimination claims, private lactation rooms, and uh, many other things. So there we go. Hopefully some progress being made all around. Hopefully decisions are being made for the betterment of these employees and these studios. But there is your Activision Update of the Week, guys. Got it out of the way. Not the most sexy story of the week. It's not, you know, we got some really fun stories. There's this one that's in the main segment today. I can't wait to hear you guys react to. It's all about, you know, Phil Spencer. He got he got drunk at a birthday party and ended up and ended up with a with an wired PlayStation 2 controller uh, around his neck and in his boxers, screaming at a bunch of kids. It was really a whole ordeal. Uh, I really can't wait to get into that one. So, you guys, let's 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 continue onward. Now, our next story—that's our update story of the week. Next, we have another update story. Yeah, get it? an update story that's not about Activision. So. VGC reporting on an update from Embracer, who recently acquired Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, and whatnot from from Square Enix, uh, said in an investor meeting that they're planning on or envisioning uh, releasing sequels and remakes and remasters of newly acquired IP from these teams. The Swedish company announced this month that it plans to acquire a large part of Square Enix's Western development arm for $300 million, which would include Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IP including Tomb Raider and DSX. Quote, we recently announced the acquisition of Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, and Square Enix, including and Square Enix Montreal, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Cain, and other IP, said Embracer CEO Lars Wingsford. Wingsford, Wingsford, whatever. The announcement got an overwhelming and positive response. We see great potential not only with sequels, but in remakes, remasters, spinoffs, as well as transmedia projects across the group. And according to Embracer, the Tomb Raider franchise sold around 88 million units in total, while Deus Ex has sold some 12 million units in its franchise history. Pretty solid numbers, especially for Tomb Raider's really great numbers, of course. Yeah, this is a, uh, I, I, this is, this is exciting. I especially am excited that he, he name drops legacy of Kane while also talking about how they're exploring remax remake remax remakes remasters and sequels let's fucking do it bring back legacy of Kane. just do it okay embracer group i the thing is like i'm very confident we will get a legacy of Kane. i i i think a ground up remake or or remaster or something is what we would get i don't think it'd be a sequel but in i i'm very confident we will get that one day now that these ip are owned by embracer which has me quite excited um I also just realized, I wonder, you know, obviously Square Enix Montreal is going to have to rename themselves now that they're not owned by Square Enix. I'm curious to see what that ends up, you know, what they end up getting renamed to. But, hey, this is exciting news for those of you who miss all these long dormant IP. You know, Square Enix is just as guilty as all the other big publishers of just sitting on these mountains and mountains of old IP from the PlayStation 1, Xbox OG days of just endless 
childhood IP that we'll never see sequels to. Come on, guys. Someone buy EA and bring back Mercenaries, Playground Destruction. Make it happen. That's a little foreshadowing for later in the in this in the news. Now, here's a here's an interesting story of mild amusement that I feel like it's pretty important. I just have so little to add to it, so I wasn't quite sure where to place this one, but I know there's a contingency of players out there who would who really love Dragon's Dogma. So here we go. VGC reports Capcom have launched a 10th anniversary website for Dragon's Dogma, reviewing spec or renewing speculation that a sequel for the game could finally be on the way the action rpg originally released for the xbox 360 in may of 2012 an expanded version of the title dragon's dogma arisen was uh, released for the pc and xbox one in 2016 and or in 2017 respectively pc then the next year on console a quote from the website says thank you arisen for taking up arms and braving through the impossible challenges that lay ahead of you we are forever grateful for your support throughout the years and hope that you will join us in the momentous celebration of dragon's dogma and quote, this is a reference to Dragon's Dogma, sorry, references to Dragon's Dogma 2 were included in a Capcom data breach that happened last year, as well as the NVIDIA GeForce leak from last year that has seemingly all been true. Like everything from that leak is seemingly all true because just so many things over the past six to eight months or so have just been announced one after another that were in that leak. So it's quite possible. In fact, it's very, very, very possible that a Dragon's Dogma 2 is, is on the way. So I know there are a lot of people who'd be very excited about that. Now, Dragon's Dogma, is, it's, it's like one of those, you, you know those games where it's like, I, I have this with movies and games. It's like those titles where you can just see the fucking box art in your head. You know what the box looks like. I feel like if I close my eyes and envision do, uh, Dragon's Dogma, I can I can pick up the box, flip over the cover, read the description, everything, and I, I'd be like, yes, I've, I've spent hours and hours of my life researching this this case. You know, but I couldn't tell you for a single second what the game's like because I've never played a lick of it. I never played a demo or at a friend's house or anything like that. I don't know anything about this game uh, when you're actually playing it. I just I just do know that it's just one of those like iconic box arts I've just seen so many times. But apparently there's a there's a there's a, a lot of passionate fans. It's it's maybe one of those um, kind of mirror's edge situations where you know people really want a sequel to this game, but not in mainstream. The mainstream gamer player base doesn't really acknowledge it all that much, but it's cool to see that likely they will be getting some more Dragon's Dogma in the future. I like that name. All right, and our final story to get into before we jump into the actual podcast this week, a little a little update on, on something happening over from voice actor Jason E. Kelly, who, who voiced uh, your main protagonist in Deathloop the arcane game released last year for PS5 that's supposedly coming to Xbox this year. The voice actor said this week on a Twitter image, after posting a Twitter image showing him voice acting in a VO booth and captioned it, ooh, cannot wait to share with what this one is. When asked by followers uh, what what you know whether he was recording dialogue for Deathloop DLC, the actor responded, "Nope, new title. That's all I can say." And uh, a lot of people are speculating that this is related to an Xbox release for Deathloop. Although you would think they wouldn't need VO work done because they're just porting the game over to Xbox. So I don't really understand how that makes sense, but I know that's the big assumption people have on this one. It's very possible that the guy just got a job with, you know, a different voice acting gig with a different project. Maybe he's fucking voice acting for a new Netflix show or some other video game. I don't know. 
But yes, the hope is that it's Deathloop related. He was known well for his uh, performance in Deathloop, although I, I wouldn't be able to say anything to it because I haven't played the game yet. I'm waiting for the Xbox release. But uh, I will say that is a thing people are getting excited about. I find it hard to believe. I mean, I, I still think, remember, Deathloop will be eligible to come to Xbox, I think, in September. That's when it came out on PS5. So once it's been a full year, that's when it can come to September. My guess tells me that at the E3 game showcase, whatever thing that Xbox is doing in, in June, we will get an official reveal for Deathloop. That will be one of, actually, because Starfield being delayed, that will be one of Xbox's big fall titles now will be Deathloop. So I expect we'll, we'll get a proper announcement at that point in time. But yeah, maybe this is Deathloop related. But if it is, it's like, I don't I don't really see how this has to do with the game coming to Xbox. Or, unless maybe they're trying to do like a, maybe there's like, a, I don't know, because they say it's not DLC, it's a new game. So, because my, my gut is like, oh, well, maybe they're doing some like DLC and expansion pass or something like that, uh, you know, that will launch on all platforms to coincide with the game coming to Xbox to kind of reinvigorate the game. But he said it's a new title, so I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But uh, just to, as an excuse to talk about Deathloop, expect an Xbox reveal very soon. I will put that on my E3. I keep calling it E3, but the you know what I mean, the Xbox Bethesda Summer Games Showcase put that on your bingo card for that event because I'm very confident we'll see it. All right, you guys. So that's actually going to do it for all of our updates, stories, mild amusement, whatnot, corrections, things of that nature for this week. Uh, now, normally this is when we would just jump into the comments and start talking about nonsense and Taco Bell and whatnot, but we, we're not doing that because remember new format. So actually we skip past that and we get really close to the main news segment. But first I tell you about the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about that, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. So, guys, real quick, let me tell you about this week the Lemon Icebox Pie. Now, I haven't done my research, so I don't really know the history of where this comes from. My, my assumption is the Lemon Icebox Pie is some, like, Southern American thing. I don't know. I never heard of the Lemon Icebox Pie in my entire life. I've never heard of an Icebox Pie, period, in my entire life. Now, fuck, I forgot what it was, but in some other parts of the world, they have a different name for this dessert, but it's the same dessert. Anyway, when I was on a cruise a couple months ago for the first time, I had the opportunity to try this thing called a lemon icebox pie. I was like, what the fuck? Why not? It's a cruise. I'm here to get fat. I ordered it. It ended up being phenomenal. It, it was the perfect cross between like kind of a key lime pie, but not really, and kind of a cheesecake, but not really. And my girlfriend, who can't stand key lime pies or cheesecakes, even loved it. It was that good. We both really enjoyed it. And uh, I thought about this pie quite a few times in the months following that cruise. So this week or this weekend, I was watching King of the Hill because I just am for my entire life. I've just always been watching reruns of King of the Hill. It is just a, a permanent part of me is to rewatch King of the Hill all the time in the background. So I'm watching King of the Hill and there's this episode where one of the characters mentions an icebox pie and immediately it clicks with me. I'm like, lemon, pie rednecks king of the hill i'm like fuck yeah lemon icebox pie this is some like dumb old dirty south kind of thing i don't i don't know i know nothing about it so i immediately get the itch and i'm like i gotta make one i got i can't go on a cruise right now i don't have the money i don't have the time this isn't happening i'm making a i'm making one of these pies and so i start watching a swath of videos about these how to make them the best recipes all these things i, I go over to the grocery store i buy all the shit guys i fucked up the lemon icebox pie i accidentally put the, the lemon juice, I didn't put nearly enough lemon juice is what I'm trying to say. I also fucked up and put too much cream cheese, and it ended up just tasting like a cheesecake. So, guys, I got to apologize to my, my faithful lemon icebox pie fans. 
I fucked up. I made a mess. I made a what I would consider to be a cheesecake mousse that has a lemon hint, but definitely not a lemon icebox pie. And I just feel like a fucking goof. You know, I know it's a no-bake pie, but it just fell apart. It was just mushy and, and too moussey, and I just... I want to apologize for my transgressions this this weekend with the with the lemon ice box pie. I hope I hope uh, assuming that it is a southern treat, I hope that Paula Dean and her and her friends from up above in heaven can forgive me for my sins. But guys, that's it for what I've been eating this week. I don't know what else to say. That's literally the only thing I've been eating. I've been fasting. Please, I'm so hungry. I've lost 20 pounds because I've done nothing but uh, make a pie, take a bite, throw it out, and, and and not eat anything else. But guys, that's it for what I've been eating. But let, with that out of the way, we gotta talk about the important shit. Which is what I've been playing, and this week I've been trying to get back into gaming a little bit. I know I, I felt bad the past few weeks getting on the podcast and being like, "Oh, I've been in a big uh, jerk off mood," or a big reading about uh, uh, you know reading all the fucking uh, Berenstein Bears books or something. I just haven't been really playing games, and so I was like, "I'm gonna make a big effort this week to try and play games." I, I kind of got there, not really. I ended up just watching a lot of movies. What the fuck? I don't even watch movies almost ever. I ended up watching like five movies this weekend. I I feel like I was possessed by a demon, probably. All right, so with that said, I am still playing Evil Dead. I don't have much to add to this, but I did rewatch Evil Dead 2 just to kind of help refresh me with the franchise and and, and reacclimate me and kind of get me in the mood that that's, you know, since I'm enjoying the game so much. And um, I actually do see and appreciate and enjoy a couple more of the references and the nods to the movies that they that they try to incorporate into the game. But other than that, I really don't have much to say about this game other than I'm still enjoying it. I still think it's a really, really fun multiplayer game. Uh, but I must say, I, I think, and I could be wrong. Maybe it's just because I've been playing with my brother and we don't take it too seriously and I'm not trying hard enough. But my biggest fear with this game is coming true, I think, maybe. Which is that, you know, it came out the first week. It's really fun. No one knows how to play the game. We're all just dicking around. It's a good time. But then you give the game a week or two and people start figuring out how to really cheese the fuck out of playing as the demon so it becomes super sweaty and not fun to play online because it's just you and three other strangers and you're just trying to fight against a stupid guy playing as the demon and the demon guy probably has zero girlfriends and watches many many youtube videos on how to be awesome at playing the demon on on, on evil dead the video game and I, i'm just having a hard time finding a game where i can like really hold up and, and make it through the end, I always fall apart towards the end of every match. So the other day, my brother and I kicked it down to uh, four real-world players versus a computer AI instead of a a human-controlled demon. And instantly, the game went back to being very fun. I'm like, this is how I need to play this game. I don't need to play against real humans. Real humans are too sweaty. This is nice and easy for me. Uh, and, and it reinvigorated the game instantly. And I got to say, I just, I'm really enjoying Evil Dead. Um the music, the atmosphere, the gameplay is fun as shit. I am excited. I'm, exci- I'm excited to, to stop playing this game and then save it for Halloween. But yeah, I was remarking to my brother. I, I'm not generally a horror fan. I, I like horror video games for sure, but I, I'm not generally playing too many of them. It's like it's like my experience with RTSs. You know, I enjoy an RTS here and there, but I, I don't play very many of them. I'm not gonna like say I'm a connoisseur of RTS games. You know. Um, but I was remarking to my brother, how weird is it that the most recent game of note, you know, for me was Evil Dead. That was the, the game I was going to buy at full price, play day one, cool shit, whatever. 
And then the next game I, I have on my on my desirable list that I, I'm just looking forward to is the Quarry um, from Super from not Supermassive is it yeah it's Super Supermassive whatever they're called the guys that do the Dark Pictures anthology games um, and I'm really looking forward to that game as well which comes out in a few weeks I have every intention of picking it up when it does drop so. I don't know. How weird is that? I'm always on here every week, like, guys, Halo, guys, Guitar Hero, guys, Sonic the Hedgehog. And now I'm just like, I'm playing Evil Dead, and I stab things in the face. And now I'm going to play the quarry, and all the camp counselors are going to get stabbed in the face. And it's just, hey, new year, new me, motherfucker. It just took me five months to figure that out. Okay? So I'm playing Evil Dead. I'm enjoying it. Looking forward to quarry. Whatever. It's a scary, scary world we live in. Might as well play some scary games. You know what I mean? Now, the other games I've been playing... Crossfire X, and I won't get into this because I know everyone in the fucking world apparently hates this game, but a new content update happened this past week. They added a new map. It is the new multiplayer Team Deathmatch Mexico map, and it is so fucking good. It's such a nice vertical two-lane map. It's really good, asymmetric. Uh, they've, they've really tightened up the controls. The aiming feels so much better in the game now by default. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the little bugginess of the game is, is so much better. Grenade cooking is so much easier now. I, I'm, ugh, I love Crossfire X so much. Every time I go back to it, I'm like, damn, this is a good game. If you guys don't like Crossfire X, it's okay. But please understand, everyone who doesn't love Crossfire X is stupid. Speaking of Crossfire, and speaking of my little nod to RTSs, a new game came out this week that I purchased last night, and I literally only put 30 minutes into it, so I have almost nothing to say. But I would like to acknowledge it, because I don't play RTSs very often, and, and, and this game is called crossfire legion that's right <laughs> there's actually a new crossfire game that just came out this week called crossfire legion and it's only for steam so it's actually not available on xbox at all but it's um <laughs> but it's a new real-time strategy game set in the crossfire universe so uh, it looks very command and conquer kind of kind of style rts but i really enjoyed the old warcraft games as a kid i really love the halo wars games um so to me you know, taking something I, I a newly beloved IP of mine like 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 Crossfire and making it into an RTS, that's that that shit resonates. I want that, you know? And so I downloaded it, I played the tutorial, played the first mission last night. This game seems like a very competent, general, generic, um, real time strategy game, and I'm really I'm really looking forward to getting into this more and more. Um, the game is actually developed by by Blackbird Interactive, which sounds like a really familiar developer, but I looked them up and they've made almost nothing I've ever heard of ever. So I'm not very familiar with the developer, but the game looks good. I'm looking forward to playing it. I liked the tutorial. It seems like a pretty classic, straightforward, real-time strategy game. It's it's scratching that Halo Wars Warcraft 3 kind of itch I get from time to time. Played a lot of Command and Conquer, especially on mobile for some reason, because I guess I wasn't loved as a child. But uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into um, Crossfire Legion. It's on Steam right now. Early access you can get for like 26 bucks. I think it's a good early access price for this game. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I've been playing this week. I've also oh we also played Tron 2.0 on the stream earlier this week, which I won't even get into. That that's a that's a, a game that was considered to be a, a really uh, a really popular. Uh, or really a really good uh, first-person shooter for the PC from the early 2000s era, like 2002, 2003-ish. And when Disney finally made a sequel to Tron, when they made Tron Legacy in 2010, they decanonized Tron 2.0, but it's a very story-driven, light RPG FPS game set in the Tron universe. Very interesting game, but we've been playing that on stream. I don't think anyone is even remotely interested in it, but I find it 
quite charming. I think the game kind of holds up. It's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting enough to see 13 hours of it through, but it's definitely uh, it's intriguing to go back and play this. Now, that game was actually a big Xbox OG launch game, or not a launch game, no, because it came out like a, a, a year later or two years later, but it was heavily associated with Xbox. It was It was like a PC Xbox kind of game back in 2003, I think, so... Tron 2.0, never got to play it on the Xbox. If I could play it on my Series X, I absolutely would, but of course that shit's not backwards compatible. So I'm here playing it on Steam, and it's uh, it's quite an interesting game. I really wish I could play it on Steam, though. All right, but that's it for all I've been playing this week, guys. Very eclectic mix of games, nothing too mainstream. But you know me, I'm not a mainstream guy. I'm an against-the-grain kind of hipster gamer, you know, playing obscure shit you've never heard of, like Halo Infinite. Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War. So, but guys, with all that out of the way, that leaves us ready, ready to jump into the news. Everyone's favorite subject. It's it's the it's the one where we find out about all the stupid shit these CEOs are doing. It's all the games that are coming out. Let's make it happen, guys. So, see you on the other side. All right. So this is where you get into the heavy shit this week. We got quite a big news week to get through, and a lot of really amusing stories. Although I feel like I said that last week, so shut up. But I am trying to be a little more succinct in this show, so let's see how we can get this pacing down. All right, our first story and biggest story of the week, the one I'm most curious to hear from you guys about, is regarding none other than EA. Haha, <laughs> lots of little uh, foreshadowing happening throughout this week's episode. EA claims that it's actively pursuing a sale or merger in the wake of recent M&A, mergers acquisition, activity in the games industry, such as Microsoft's $68.7 billion acquisition of Activision. That's according to a new report by a website, Puck, which is paywalled, uh, which claims that EA has been persistent in pursuing a sale and recently held talks with Disney, Apple, Amazon, and Comcast, NBC, Universal. It's claimed that the talks with the latter progressed the furthest before eventually falling apart last month, with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts allegedly proposing to spin off NBC, Universal and merge his company with EA. That's insane. That's that's actually huge. Uh, quote, the general terms of the proposal, which lawyers and bankers from both sides negotiated for several weeks, would have seen the Roberts family take the majority control of the combined entity that re- uh, the claim reports. In its configuration, most serious in its configuration, most seriously discussed, the company would have been run by Andrew Wilson, current CEO of EA. The proposal said that it had been fallen apart. It had fallen apart in the last month due to disagreements over the price and structure. Its spokeswoman from Comcast declined to comment, while EA said it would not comment on rumors and speculations relating to mergers and acquisitions. The report goes on to claim that sources have indicated that FIFA and Battlefield's publisher has been persistent in persuading in pursuing a sale and has only grown more emboldened in the wake of the Microsoft Activision deal. Others say EA is primarily interested in merging arrangements that would allow Wilson to remain as chief executive and combine of the combined company. It adds because video games have outperformed many industries hurt by the pandemic, public and private investors have started to target the industry as a perceived safe bet. So this is a huge story because what this basically tells us is yes, <laughs> like, Yes, this is 100%. Yes. You see this, and I feel like there are two things that, that, that happen. One of two things that happen from here. Either this goes on and on until EA finally finds someone to merge or sell to, and then it happens, which means EA is on its way to being sold. Or they are shopping around long enough for this trend or fad to fade away, and then they're, le- they're left standing tall and independent, and, and they and they out outlast this wave of sell buy merge 
consolidate. This is a... When you think about the big names in gaming outside of the, the big console manufacturers, so you take away Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, right? The ones that come to mind instantly are Activision, EA, Ubisoft. I mean, those are probably the top three that come to mind for most people, although Take-Two deserves to be out there as well. These are probably the top three that come to mind for most gamers who have any kind of familiarity with the games industry. And it's crazy to think that so far in the calendar year 2022, the biggest stories or some of our biggest stories have been Activision sold out to Xbox. Ubisoft is looking to either sell or to re- restructure or to have the, the family take more majority ownership and kind of reestablish itself or something. Something's happening with Ubisoft. And now we're seeing yay. Although I think not many people, many people have speculated that it was only a matter of time before we heard about what EA is doing. But... Here we are, not even halfway through the year, and we've heard about all three companies. And honestly, I think it really goes down to that last bit that the article mentions, where other companies, private investors, are starting to look at the entertainment industry, and they're perceiving video games as a safe bet. And it's so funny how business works, how reactionary it is, you know, because because it's like everything is so like, oh my God, look, let's look at the way the world reacted to this one specific event and then base everything we do with our business going forward on that. You know, you think about like the world's reaction to the pandemic and it's like, you know, fingers crossed things don't get that bad ever again or it never comes back, whatever. We don't know, right? But I just love that all these investment companies and these and these entertainment conglomerates and whatnot are like, wow, these two years where this pandemic took place really just shuffled everything you know every industry got flipped over some some for the better some for the worse but everything was affected all right let's start let's just shake up everything we do let's go let's go drop billions of dollars on a video game company I, it's just such a weird it's such a weird need it's seemingly knee-jerk reaction because you think about in the long run how you know buy agreeing to buy someone like activision or ea is no is no small decision that is a massive acquisition but it's just you know these companies have been desirable these companies have been massive they have been influential and profitable for so long but just something like something as quick and swift and unforeseen as the, as the pandemic we just went through happens and then all of a sudden everyone's like well you know uh well uh ea still sold a lot of video games and made a lot of money while you know movie studios weren't able to put shit in theaters and sell tickets uh, so maybe we should invest billions and billions of dollars in them. And that's kind of what we're looking at. And this this plays into this overarching narrative. If you look at the stories that keep reoccurring, the big events of this year so far, it is the fallout from the events of the past two years. Starfield gets delayed. Every game's got delayed. Series delays across the board. Fall of 2022 has basically no games to look forward to. Yeah. Because the pandemic gunked up the development pipeline and everything's fucked and now we got to wait for things to kind of normalize. Right now, the problem with the game release schedule is that everything's gunked up because the projects are getting delayed. But what's going to happen in a year or two is we're going to have this issue where all the games that got delayed and all the games that didn't get delayed are all going to be coming out at the same time. And we're going to have an oversaturated fall 2024, whatever it ends up being, you know? So... That's one vertical of this industry that's gotten completely flipped up upside down. We have the vertical where massive entertainment is le- are leaving all these developers and bouncing around and being paid massive sums of money, doubling, tripling salary salaries just to retain or acquire talent from other teams. You know, Sony laid aside 
a million dollars per person to keep core talent at Bungie after their acquisition. This kind of stuff where the games industry is shaken up in a huge way right now where talent is getting harder to find, getting more highly sought after, more expensive and more desired than ever before. In, in, in this case, you know, in a lot of ways, that's that's a really good thing. These people are getting paid. That's awesome. And then this is the other one, which is, and this is the biggest one we've been talking about, because this is the one I think that most affects us in the long run, because, you know, a, a slow 2022 season, you know, or, you know, holiday for, for video games, that's that sucks. But this is, this is big stuff that has long-term ramifications, which is all these companies we know are being acquired or merging or looking to sell in some way and something's happening. And now we now we make our way to EA. I I, I want to let's let's focus for a second. I just I, this story is just well, it's so vague. Obviously, we we know so little other than they made it pretty far into communication in, into negotiations rather with Comcast, NBC Universal. The idea that Comcast CEO was willing to spin off NBC Universal and then and focus his his merger and his activity with EA and, and kind of split those those two things in in halves. I that's that's crazy to me. That's that there is it's weird because I feel like for so many years, you know, especially over the past 10, 15 years, basically since the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 generation, I feel like gaming fans and gaming pundits and and industry people had been championing this whole games are a very serious medium of entertainment. They make so much fucking money. They resonate so well with their audience. Like this is the most serious form of entertainment games have been the most profitable form of entertainment uh for for so very long and still it just seems like the world doesn't pay attention and just shrugs video games off as those things you do when you're a kid and you need something to keep you preoccupied and it's just not the case and finally now we're in a scenario where the world was forced to stop and watch as it was like Everyone's getting fired. Everyone's getting furloughed. Everyone's working from home. Everyone's socially distancing. Everyone's locked up in their houses and, and can't go out and do things. Movies are failing. You know, movie theaters are failing. Movie studios are freaking out. Uh, nothing. You know, people are not going out. They're not going places. They're not doing things. Uh, tourism is down. You know, all these industries are completely fucked. But people sure are home playing their fucking Xboxes. And it's that like money speaks in, in, in a scenario where everything had to get washed out and the in the spotlight had to be shown on video games finally these massive companies realize it's like oh my god video games are a massive industry it's like this is this is it this is the future of entertainment and i feel like actually in a way these 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 side effects and consequences of the pandemic and how it's affected in you know the entertainment industry is going to accelerate now the the speed at which the world starts to take gaming more seriously the way the world in which uh, entertainment companies start to take gaming more seriously. Investors, just in general, the world the world will start seeing gaming differently uh, because we're finally at this point now where it's like, yeah, we we want that. That shit is valuable. And so I wouldn't be surprised if EA. I, I don't think EA can 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 position themselves the way um, Activision can because EA has some massive IP. You know, they obviously Apex Legends, uh, Battlefield. They don't have anything that's like Call of Duty caliber. Plus, a lot of their more recent big titles were licensed things like Star Wars games and stuff. So I don't really think EA could get even close to being as desirable or, or, or sell for as much as what Xbox is paying for Activision. Especially because Microsoft is way overpaying for Activision, and that's that's widely understood and known. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if, Activ- if EA sells for a significant less amount of money than what Activision is going for. 
but surely you could see this this deal going for 30 40 billion dollars at, at minimum you know at, at, at this point um, with the way things are going so we'll continue to keep our eyes peeled obviously there's really nothing else to know to note other than I, I feel like the other the last thing I guess I want to mention is you look at the other potential buyers Disney I don't I don't really know what to say about that because D- Disney's so fucking weird they're, every couple of years they're like oh we really want to get heavily invested in gaming and then they're like ah no fuck it right off the gaming division we don't want to do gaming and then they're like ah we want to do gaming again so fuck them they're, they're so indecisive when it comes to gaming Apple is interesting because Apple the the rumor for so long was that Apple is going to make a video game console that was a rumor for so many years and then it finally got to a point I feel like where the rumor the rumor just kind of became a meme of itself in a way where people are like guys obviously Apple is not interested in making dedicated gaming hardware they're interested in gaming being a part of the personal devices we all use every day whether it be our laptops or or, or phones right Apple Arcade iPhone iPad this is this is their 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 gaming effort. Apple TV, they they're not making a game console. So to see Apple clearly just let the time pass them by and the opportunity pass them by for them to become a serious contender in the games industry or at least in the actual games industry, like with video game consoles and real video games, and not just little iPhone apps like they've been doing forever. I feel like they've they've let that time pass. So why now all of a sudden would they? You know, it's like. I guess if you're a company like Apple, you can afford to be, you know, better late than never. But it's just it, it just seems so odd to see Apple potentially play, flirt around with this idea, considering they've had the opportunity to get into the games industry in a serious way for so many years. And they just blatantly and consistently neglected that opportunity. So that's a that's an odd one for me as well. And then finally, Amazon's the one I think makes the most sense, or at least on surface level, because we know Amazon has been aggressive about trying to get into gaming. You know, they made the Amazon Games Studio or whatever it's called. They they built their own game engine. They built Luna, which you know, we Amazon Amazon's approach to gaming has been very much a, a Google approach, where it's like they're just investing so much fucking money, getting so much talent throwing out all these products and games and shit and 99% of it doesn't stick other than what's that what's that game that came out last year that people really really liked that I don't I can't believe I'm blanking on that it's on Steam I want to say Lost Ark but I know it's not Lost Ark whatever you know other than that game Amazon has had nothing but duds with their with their video game efforts so I feel like this this makes sense for Amazon because it's like well now they can buy a known quantity like EA as a kind of way to buttress themselves force themselves, you know, break down the door into the games industry. This is this is a, a way for them to buy themselves into being taken seriously and being a, a legitimate part of the games industry. So for Amazon, I think this deal, you know, their interest in EA makes perfect sense. So I'm surprised that's not one that we saw further development in. But Comcast, NBC Universal, honestly, that's a company I don't follow closely enough to really um, know what their priorities and prerogatives are, and, and and how gaming could you know fall into all that. Obviously, big media corporation, big um, mass media corporation. So it it makes sense for them to have that vertical. They have TV, they have movies, they have internet, they have you know services, they have theme parks. So it makes sense for them to maybe add that vertical. They're all about entertainment. So gaming is is a massive vertical that they are missing um, of their entertain you know of the entertainment spectrum. So I guess that makes sense, but I I just don't have much of a read on them to to be able to make any kind of meaningful commentary. But that's our big story of the week. That's the one that just left me like wow <laughs> the most. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm, I, that's that's one where I'm really curious to actually hear the takes of others. Generally, I'm like, I don't know. I don't need to listen to another podcast or read some op-eds too often to 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 feel like I have a a, a, a compelling read on a situation. That's a story that I like. I'm I'm actually quite interested to see what uh, brighter minds have to say on that. All right, now next up, another big story. We got some some chonkers this week. I hate that term. I don't know why I said it, but here we are. VGC is reporting that Chinese electronics company TCL, uh, shout out to TCL, they make some really cool phones, uh, has said that it expects a new Xbox Series X and S console as well as a new PlayStation 5 Pro, quote-unquote, Pro console to be launched sometime in 2023 or 24. The company, which reportedly ranked second in global TV markets uh, sales in terms of uh, sales volume in 2019, revealed it's forecasted for the console industry, uh, um, revealed its forecast for the video game console industry this past week. During the press event, which was used to showcase the latest TVs coming from the manufacturer, the company representative said that they expect Gen 9.5, you know, console Gen 9.5, to arrive by 2024. The manufacturer suggested an unannounced console will provide gameplay in 60 to 120 frames per second at resolutions of 2160p and offer the ability to play in 8K. I love that it's, you know, we're not focused on hitting 120 frames per second standard. We're hitting, we're, we're focused on 8K, but I get it. Resolution sells because it's, it's pretty, it's easier to see. It also said it expects PS5 Pro and the new Series X and S consoles to come with an equivalent to the upcoming AMD Radeon RX 70, 770 XT GPU, which is uh, quite a power bump. Given the platform's holders' current inability to meet demand for PS5 and Xbox Series X hardware due to the global chip shortage, TCL's forecast for a mid-gen hardware refresh soon might appear optimistic, and this is the part I highlighted, unless perhaps redesigned consoles offer a manufacturing advantage. Sony CFO Hiroki Totoki said last year the company was considering various solutions to help it cope with the global shortage of hardware components, including potentially an alternate design and altered sourcing for secondary suppliers. The topic was brought up again at the Sony full-year financial results briefing earlier this month during the event Totoki said that during the event Totoki was asked what measures Sony is likely taking to combat the semiconductor shortage in which Intel recently warned might even last until 2024 which we also talked about recently on the show. So, deep breath. So, I I think the most important thing to take from this is the line where it says, unless perhaps redesigned consoles offer manufacturing advantages. Unless that's the case, they think 2024 is a little bit of an optimistic time frame. So I, I can't imagine anyone who follows video games to any extent, you know, who doesn't live under a rock, would hear a story like this and immediately be like, what the fuck? These consoles just came out a year and a half ago. And still to this day, Almost no one can find them, save for, you know, the the occasional Xbox Series S here and there. No one can find a Series X. No one can find a PS5. Why the fuck would they be talking about a mid-console refresh? So, you remember last generation, the Xbox One and PS4, that was the first generation we ever really saw a true mid-console refresh, where we got the Xbox One X and the PlayStation 4 Pro. Generally, you know, every console generation has revisions where you get like a slim model or this model has this little tweak. You know, sometimes they have tiny little performance bumps, you know, to make things a little smoother or more reliable or whatever. But generally speaking, if you're looking at the OG Xbox, the Xbox 360, the PS2, and fuck any Nintendo console because they do it more than anyone, there's always a slimmed down mid-generation refresh. But it's the same console, just, you know, packed into a smaller package, a tighter package. 
last generation, we saw the introduction of this concept where halfway through a generation, you know, a generation lasts six to eight years, halfway through that generation, so three or four years in, you release a console that's the same generation, but it's a slight performance spec bump, and then three to four years later after that, you introduce the proper next-gen console. So I think the problem is, in 2000, I don't know, like 2017, 18, 19, when Xbox Series consoles and PlayStation 5 were in serious active development, I think they that Microsoft and Sony were following the pattern that they had set with Xbox One and PS4. And they were saying, so the roadmap for Xbox Series X, the roadmap for PlayStation 5 had in mind this concept of like, oh yeah, and then of course, three or four years into it, we'll do a refresh model. But of course, that didn't take into account everything that would happen with chip shortages, not being able to manufacture of consoles, people spending years and years trying to get a fucking PS5. And so I think obviously it's very frustrating for a lot of people to hear this news and be like, what the fuck, bro? I'm still trying to get a PS5 because it's brand new. And now you're already talking about a PS5 Pro. If you're an Xbox fan, you probably had better luck trying to get a Series X or S. But even then, there are plenty of people trying to get Xbox Series X in particular who cannot get their hands on one of these things. So this is a slap across the face to a large portion of your audience. So I think, obviously, this, this mention of unless the redesigned consoles offer manufacturing advantage, I think that's contingent on everything that happens because... I'm sure that at both Sony and Microsoft in the past year and a half, they have they have revised their plan for the current console generation to say, well, should we do a PS5 Pro? Should we do an Xbox Series X version X or whatever the fuck you call it? You know, should we do a mid console refresh on these? Considering that by the time we finally have those out, the chip shortage might just be getting over or might honestly still be going on. So I, I think the only way you can justify doing that at this point is if you change the focus to be, well, yeah, we're doing a mid-console refresh, and yeah, it's a little more powerful, but it's don't think of it like the Xbox One X. Think of it like something between like an Xbox 360 Slim and an Xbox One X, where it's kind of just the Slim model that's designed to keep costs down, but it's also a little bit more powerful. And the main reason you want to do this is because now you want to find out a way to recreate the spec and performance of these current hardware consoles, these current generation consoles, while making them less reliant on the parts that are impossible to get your hands on right now. I think that is a big, big, big effort for these manufacturers. So I think it's quite possible that an Xbox Series X version X and a PS5 Pro were very much always in the cards for these gen- this generation of consoles. And somewhere along the way, because of the pandemic, the focus or, or the 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 project shifted from okay, now we're gonna go from a from a mid cycle refresh spec bump console to a mid cycle refresh to greatly reduce the cost of parts and R and D and uh, or, or uh, manufacturing and try and try and make it easier and more streamlined so we can get more of these motherfuckers out into the wild for our audience for our gamers, for our players, for our elite players. Obviously, I think that's that's got to be the e- emphasis. And why would TCL know this kind of information? Of course, because these are the kinds of partners companies like Sony and Microsoft work with because TCL right now is designing and R&Ding TVs that will come out two, three, four years from now, right now. And they're trying to develop in, in, in these these next generation TVs with in, in their minds a notion of, 
where movies are headed, where streaming technology is headed, where gaming is headed. Because what do people do on their TVs? They watch, they watch fucking Netflix. They watch YouTube. They play video games. And so these are the kinds of industries that would have that insider knowledge, that would be able to tell us some things you know, that they're not supposed to tell us because they work closely with these partners to, to develop their TVs. I mean, it's no coincidence that right around the time the Xbox Series X came out was around the time TV started having HDMI 2.1 supporting uh, 120 FPS and 4K at the same time. You know, there's no, that's not a coincidence. That's because TV manufacturers were waiting for an opportunity for the market to want that feature for them to put it in their TVs. And that was the Xbox Series X. So that's that's why companies like TCL know, you know, have some inclination of what Sony and Microsoft are working on behind the scenes. And I just think, even though undoubtedly the intention was we need to get a beefed up version of the Series X out into the market three or four years into its life cycle, the focus now might be on, yeah, we can do a slightly beefed up one, but the main focus here is on trying to streamline the production process so we can manufacture more of these things so we can combat the 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 supply shortage that's plaguing this generation. It's insane. And the only thing, you know, the only thing Xbox and PlayStation really have going for them in all of this is that the high demand, low supply situation of this of this console has thankfully for in, for them continued to not drive people away from gaming but rather make them more more excited more fervent about getting their hands on these fucking consoles of course there are scenarios where i'm sure plenty of playstation players have bought an xbox because they've been able to find a series s but not a ps5 i'm sure there are plenty of examples of people who wanted a series x who couldn't find one and then said fuck it i'm building a gaming pc or something like that but for the most part demand has stayed very very strong and so now I think they're taking this opportunity and changing their focus to try and meet that demand because the whole point of a mid-console refresh is to reinvigorate the demand. It's saying, okay, now our console that's supposed to be on the market for six to eight years has been on the market for three or four years. Let's kind of give that give that market a little a little a little more juice. Let's give them a shot of adrenaline. And that's the point of an Xbox One X or a PlayStation 4. It's saying, hey, to our most hardcore audience, if you 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 might be happy with your PS4 or your Xbox One. But you're not a real Xbox gamer until you drop another fucking four or five hundred dollars on this Xbox One X. And that's the idea. But the problem is at the rate they're going because of the chip shortage, by the time they finally get production under control and once the Xbox Series X finally hits three or four years on the market, they might not need a new console to reinvigorate the Xbox Series X because just being simply being able to produce and make these and sell these things might be enough to get consumers, you know, going because at this point people just want to buy these fucking things. So, I don't know, there's many ways it can go. Of course, when you're a company as big as Microsoft, you're always R&Ding and so you just want to have options in the pipeline for any scenario whether you need to have a cheaper, more streamlined version ready or a beefy, more powerful version ready or maybe nothing at all. Whatever the case may be, you want to have your options open and that's what that's what you do when you're Microsoft or Sony. So, this is interesting stuff. I I personally find it hard to believe we're going to get a beefed up Xbox Series X in the year 2024 because I, I think by that time we'll be lucky if if consoles are readily available. And so, I mean, I could be wrong. What the fuck do I know? But like right now, I've been I've been going back and forth on like, do I want to buy an Xbox Series S? I kind of want one, but I don't I don't know. Do I really need one? I want to put one in my bedroom. But man, if I know that in like 12 to 18 months there could be an Xbox Series S version S available. For $300, that's just a more powerful Series S. Fuck, I would feel bad if I bought an Xbox Series S today 
because I'm like, damn, I'm only getting like 18 months of use from this thing. I don't, I don't want to spend 300 bucks on a new Xbox for that. So I don't know, man. This is a sticky situation, and it, it's one of those things where it's it's so fluid. It just depends every day on where are we on the semiconductor supply shortage and production, and just getting things back into the into the market. Where are we on all that? And what is how is the market responding to what is and isn't available? And that determines everything from here on out with how how these companies are going to proceed. All right, now we move away from the whole companies doing this or that kind of stories and into the video game news, or at least for a little bit before we jump back into the other stuff. Guys, let's talk about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Very highly anticipated game, like I said last week. Possibly the only big game coming out this fall. Uh, hoping that, you know, Hogwarts Legacy doesn't get delayed into 2023, which I, I doubt it comes out this year. At this point, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty pretty confident that it's gonna get delayed again and uh or, or get delayed period at least and then other than that there's gotham knights but really modern warfare 2 is let's be honest it's called duty is by far the biggest game coming out this year especially now that xbox has got nothing and you know playstation might have god of war so i guess we don't know for sure but anyway let's jump into it activision have announced this week that call of duty modern warfare 2 will be releasing on october 28th 2022 yes they put a hard date on it even though in the past few years they haven't put a hard date on the game until about two months before its launch this year, they've gone back to their old marketing strategy where they're just so excited to tell you what's going on that we now know Modern Warfare 2 will release on October 28th. The release date was shared as part of a reveal at the port of Long Beach, LA. Over the course of 24 hours, a team maneuvered cargo ships containing the Modern Warfare 2 logo because cool marketing, who gives a shit? In addition to an official release date, though, Charlie Intel, a popular Call of Duty news site, noted that data miners have uncovered multiple references to the upcoming title via in-game files added to Call of Duty Vanguard, which Tuesday's Season 3 Reloaded update showed, you know, whatever. The files seemingly reveal that the first details of the Modern Warfare 2 editions uh, set for release, knowing that it will come with three various versions, the regular version, standard, right, the cross-gen version, which just get, takes 10 extra bucks so you can play it on multiple platforms. It's a ripoff. And then the Volt Edition, which is like the deluxe edition. In addition to that, though, ha 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 ha, Sony and Activision have long, have had a long-standing Call of Duty marketing deal in recent years, which have seen PlayStation owners receive a range of exclusive content, in-game bundles, exclusive modes, and more. Well, that's going to continue with Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare 2, despite Microsoft's Activision merger that's underway right now, while that won't be officially done by the time, um, likely, that Modern Warfare 2 comes out, they still have to honor a marketing, a pre-existing marketing deal between Activision and Sony. So the game will actually be getting its first early access public beta thing, test, whatever you want to call it, exclusively on PlayStation consoles, just like the past few Call of Duties have, and it will have its marketing deal with PlayStation. So that doesn't surprise me too much, but if next year's Call of Duty has a, a PlayStation marketing tie-in, I will find that slightly interesting and, and, and weird, but... It will probably be because of contractual obligations. But continuing on, we also have some new information, not only just about Modern Warfare 2 on its own, but the new Warzone 2, the new mode that will re be replacing Warzone as we know right now. In, in Call of Duty Warzone 2, details have allegedly been leaked online, including plans to bring the Battle Royale closer to its predecessor, Black Ops 4's Blackout Mode, the first Call of Duty Battle Royale mode ever made. YouTuber Nero Cinema, who I, I used to watch that guy a lot, shared the details video, a uh, detailed video published this week, which corroborated uh, by recognized insider Tom Henderson, who we mention all the time on the show, and partially matches what VGC has heard from their own sources. According to the video, the biggest revamp in Warzone 2 will be related to how it handles loadouts, 
packages players can purchase and equip with all their powerful gear and guns. It's claimed that Warzone 2 will make it's more cha- make it more challenging to acquire loadouts by placing them inside new POIs, points of interest called strongholds, including areas based on popular multiplayer maps from 2009's original Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It's claimed that Warzone 2 will adopt some features from Call of Duty's first Battle Royale, Black Ops 4's Blackout Mode. This includes armor requiring to be requiring a satchel to be equipped rather than by coming on default, and the new inventory system where you can only fit so many weapons and equipment in your bag. According to the report, the Battle Royale game will introduce swimming a swimming mechanic for the first time in Warzone. Neither the original Warzone or its revamps from Black Ops Cold War or Vanguard have included the ability to swim, although Black Ops 4's Blackout Mode did. Lastly, as first reported by VGC last year, the Call of Duty War or the new Call of Duty Warzone will launch alongside Modern Warfare 2 and include new maps filled with locations from that series. According to Narrow Cinema, one such point of interest is based on the multiplayer map High Rise, a beloved Modern Warfare 2 map. All right, that is a massive amount of Call of Duty news to take in, and I just want to start. I think the the most obvious thing to mention at the top, um, I think, would be this: November 2020, Call of Duty Black Ops. Cold War launches with the best zombies offering the franchise has seen in years. November 2020, after Halloween. Okay, November 2021, Call of Duty Vanguard releases with a zombies mode made by Treyarch, the gods of of, of Call of Duty zombies, the gods of zombie gameplay. Even though Vanguard zombies kind of suck, that's beside the point. The game comes out November 2021, weeks after Halloween. October 2022, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 releases in October, just days before Halloween night, developed by famed Call of Duty uh, creator Infinity Ward, who are famous for being the only developer who do not include zombies modes. Now, I know you guys thought we were going to talk about Modern Warfare 2. We're going to talk about Warzone. Fuck you. Why do they keep doing this? Because the last time a Call of Duty game released in October was 2019's Modern Warfare 1 remake, reimagining, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And that game also didn't have a Zombies mode. So are we to expect that if a Call of Duty game is going to come out around Halloween time, just in time for Halloween, it will not include Zombies? But if it is a Call of Duty game with Zombies, it will come out fashionably late, generally three weeks post-Halloween. Is, is this the precedent you want to set, Activision? Fuck you. My my past few Halloweens have been trashed because of you. My girlfriend left me last Halloween. It wasn't sc- it, w- it wasn't spooky in the right way. Uh, my, my, my dog ran away. My Call of Duty broke. My Xbox broke. I'm broke. This is terrible. Why the fuck are we doing this? I demand justice for Call of Duty Zombies. And now I'm demanding Infinity Ward have some form of a Zombies mode in Modern Warfare 2. Because this is simply unacceptable. All right, with that comment out of the way, let's talk about the actual story. So October 28th, it's clear that they're really excited about this game, that they're talking about the release date, that they're really heavily marketing it. It is clear that two things. It's clear that they are very excited about Modern Warfare 2. They're very excited about uh, Warzone 2. But the other thing is they are very excited to get away from Vanguard. I, I think Activision cannot wait to cut itself from Vanguard and be like, fuck that game, Modern Warfare 2, here you go. And... You can tell there's a lot of like kind of old school Call of Duty hype around the way they're announcing and talking about and getting ready for this game. You can tell they think it's going to be a massive one. Obviously, it's going to be a massive one. Look how Modern Warfare 2019 sold. And I I think gamers think it's going to be a huge game. It's supposed to be the first Call of Duty 
to have a two-year cycle where you know it's not going to get replaced next fall. It's it's got a whole new rebuilt war zone coming alongside with it, and you can tell they're, they're excited. And with nothing else of consequence really happening this fall, as long as they don't fuck up Modern Warfare 2, which I don't see them doing, this game is going to... I mean, obviously, Call of Duty dominates every year, but this game is not only going to dominate in the way Call of Duty does by being the best-selling game, but it's also going to dominate by way of just being the only thing for people to play and therefore garnering a lot of discussion from potentially lapsed Call of Duty players. Like, mark my words, a lot of people who just haven't given a shit about Call of Duty in a while and who haven't been talking about Call of Duty in a while are going to be playing and talking about Modern Warfare 2. It's just... The stars have aligned for Call of Duty this fall. So this is a big, big game. Other than that, I, I want to point and laugh a little bit about the Battle Royale situation because this new Warzone moves more in the direction of Blackout, which was the Black Ops 4 Battle Royale mode that happened before Warzone. I don't care if this is a controversial take. This is fact, so fuck you. Black Ops 4's Blackout Battle Royale mode was better than Warzone in every conceivable way. It looked better, it felt better, it played better, it had way more fun ideas, it was way more welcoming to newcomers, easy to pick up and play, and to understand, and it was a great time. Sections of the map were themed to various famous, iconic Black Ops maps. You have shit from World at War, Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2, all this shit. The map was super fun to explore, you had zombies in one portion of the map, it was insane. The art style and the gameplay style was perfect. It had that kind of oversaturated old school Call of Duty tint to it. So it was very easy to discern who's a player and what's a fucking tree. Unlike Warzone where everything is so fucking gray and hyper realistic that you cannot tell the difference between a fucking bombed building and your teammate. And then you get sniped from across the map because fuck you, that's Warzone. So I am very happy and excited and pleased to hear that there is a effort to move Warzone kind of more in line with how Blackout operated with, with its map design and with its ability to have more over-the-top features like swimming and with its more straightforward approach to how you acquire items and gear and armor and things of that nature. Very, very exciting information. This makes me actually moderately optimistic about, about Warzone. As someone who loves Call of Duty but doesn't like Warzone, this makes me moderately interested in thinking... Maybe Warzone might be a mode for me now. Because I, I, dude, Blackout was actually good. Say what you want. I know people trashed Black Ops 4, didn't have a campaign, yada, yada, yada. Black Ops 4 had dank-ass zombies, pretty solid multiplayer, and a really fun Battle Royale mode. Guys, guys, this is the way. Now, to, to, play, to play fair, though, and to give people the benefit of the doubt, the reason why, you know, Black, uh, Blackout didn't fare as well as Warzone is because Warzone released alongside the most important Call of Duty in many, many, many years, you know, with, with 2019 Modern Warfare. Warzone is also, and this is the biggest one, free to play, so anyone and everyone can get involved in it. And Warzone also had incredible support from day one. So that's why Warzone has been successful, whereas Black Blackout failed, because Blackout was a really good Battle Royale game that was part of yet another annualized Call of Duty that would be forgotten and abandoned in 10 months' time. So you can't really build something successful off Blackout if you're just going to move on to the next Call of Duty game in a few months. So also, you pay wallet behind a $60 game, you're making it a very specific game that only a very specific group of people can, can get into. And obviously, the key to a massive free-to-play multiplayer game like Fortnite, like Warzone, like now Rocket League... Like, like things like that is lower the barrier to entry. Make the game either dirt cheap or free to play. 
You know, put it on all the platforms, make it as accessible as possible, and support it forever and ever and ever and ever. Obviously, Blackout, you know, Blackout, they, they, they Call of Duty fans joke, Blackout walked so Warzone could run. Blackout is still the best Call of Duty uh, Battle Royale. And uh, just knowing that they're they're looking to that game for inspiration for Warzone 2 has me quite optimistic. So lots of exciting Call of Duty news. Guys, get your shit together. We want zombies modes. On, we want new zombies maps on Halloween. Make it happen. At least the good news is we know Treyarch is working on a ground-up remake of Shinonuma for Vanguard. So maybe that will be out um, closer to Halloween and we can have that. But that's it. I promise to shove about Call of Duty now. Let's move on to other games. Actually, this next story is probably going to be a a, a tender, uh, not tender, but a sore spot for a lot of you Xbox fans because, well, this is just not so exciting news. But VGC reported this week, uh, um, actually, VGC didn't report, VG relayed, which was reported from, um, we'll, we'll get into it. The head of Marvel Games has revealed how Xbox turned down an opportunity to make licensed games shortly before Sony made a deal to make Spider-Man on PS4 in 2018. Well, the game released in 2018. The deal was struck long before that. In an excerpt from Stephen L. Kent's 2021 book, The Ultimate History of Video Games, Volume 2, as spotted on Reset Era, executive VP and head of Marvel Games, Jay Ong, explains how the company cut its early deal with Activision short in search of a better partnership. According to Ong, Marvel Games wasn't happy with the quality of the Spider-Man games being published by Activision, and the two companies mutually agreed to terminate their licensing deal early. Ong said that when the deal was made to walk away, Activision asked, what are you going to do with the IP after you get it back? To which Ong replied, I'm going to find a better home for it. According to Ong, Activision's reply was, good luck finding your unicorn. I, what a fucking cocky thing to hear from a publisher who has made some of the absolute worst Spider-Man. They made some of the best Spider-Man games too, but they made, especially toward the later years, some of the worst fucking Spider-Man games. But anyway, continuing on. Ong said Marvel's games went to both Xbox and PlayStation to see if either of them would be interested in forming an exclusive partnership, asking, we don't have, quote, we don't have a big console deal with anyone right now. What do you? What would you like to do? Microsoft's strategy, Ong recalls, was to focus on its own IP, and as such, it, de- it decided to pass on the offer. Sony, however, was more receptive, saying, quote, I sat down with these two execs from PlayStation third party, Adam Boyce and John Drake, in August of 2014, in a conference room in Burbank, California. I said, we have a dream that is possible that we could beat Arkham, you know, Batman Arkham, and have one game that as least as one game at least, and maybe multiple games that could drive adoption of your platform. And quote, Sony reportedly responded to the offer by making a triple A PlayStation exclusive Spider-Man game that handed the project to Insomniac, which was an independent, which was independent at the time, but was considered one of Sony's most important partners. The resulting game, Marvel Spider-Man, was widely critically acclaimed and reportedly went on to sell more than 20 million copies with its spinoff, Miles Morales, selling a further 6.5 million copies. Again, that's on one console. 20 million copies. In the US, Spider-Man is now one of Sony's most successful video games ever released in terms of dollar sales. Insomniac recently announced they're even making a Spider-Man sequel, and along with an, an expanded relationship between Sony and Marvel that will see Insomniac also make a Wolverine game, which, okay, we know Insomniac's one of the greatest developers of all time. We know Insomniac did a killer job with Spider-Man. I don't regret that game. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad I played it. I'm really glad we're getting a Wolverine game because that sounds great too. I love Wolverine. But what the actual fuck happened? You gotta you gotta put yourself in the headspace because right now, if you're an Xbox fan, we're we're 
we're tear jerking and, and, and Phil Spencer worshiping over a very different Xbox in 2022 than the Xbox that existed in 2014 when this when this when these conversations happened. Let me remind you that in 2014, Xbox had just acquired Minecraft. In 2014, Microsoft's approach was, hi, buy a Windows phone, please. Microsoft's approach in 2014 was, our big fall release is Sunset Overdrive, which is phenomenal, and the developer will go on to make an awesome Marvel game for our competitor, uh, but you guys won't play it because you hate, you hate good games and you like shitty stuff. And two, here is the Master Chief Collection. It doesn't work, but it costs money. This was Xbox. This was Microsoft in the year 2014. I want to put this into context. The Xbox One was turning a year old in 2014. The Xbox One was completely down in the dirt and everyone hated it in 2014. The Xbox One had dropped Kinect, already completely abandoned its original vision, and had not a whole lot in the pipeline in terms of really big exclusive games. In fact, it had Titanfall, and then later that fall, it had Sunset Overdrive, which we already went over, while being an amazing game, God bless you, Sunset Overdrive, one of the best games of the last generation, really didn't do well. So what fucking part of Microsoft that was, you know, Windows fan here, Windows phone fan here, you know, to the day I die, but what fucking part of Microsoft was like, yeah, we're going to try to push Windows phone and Surface Pro 3 uh, and fucking Windows 8 onto people, and they'll like that, but at the same time was having conversations with Marvel, like, you know what, man? We really want to focus on our own IP right now. No thanks. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we're really confident that Halo Master Chief Collection is going to launch uh, well this November and not and not piss anyone off whatsoever. Like, is that is that how the conversation went? And let me further steep you in the era of 2014 by reminding you of this. 2014, and specifically, this conversation happened in August of 2014. So, <laughs> August 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy had just come out in theaters and made the entire goddamn planet go from who the fuck are Guardians of the Galaxy to oh my god Guardians of the Galaxy one of the greatest sci-fi romps of all time also 2014 Captain America Winter Soldier one of the most beloved one-off Marvel movies or not one-off but you know independent you know Marvel movies that's not an Avengers movie whatever it is I'm trying to say keep in mind we're in 2014 we're 2 years removed from Marvel's The Avengers, which did absurdly well, and everyone fucking thought it was the greatest game of the or game. Sorry, I'm talking about the movie, not the game. Greatest movie ever, and it it it, it went from making people love just Iron Man to loving the MCU, and it, it, it we got to the point where it's just like, okay, we're all we're all in now. Now every time Marvel puts a movie in theaters, the entire population of the world will go and watch this movie. So this context matters. 2014. PlayStation is dominating Xbox. Xbox is down the dumps. Xbox doesn't have a whole lot in the pipeline. Xbox doesn't have a whole lot going for it. Marvel is super fucking hot. Everyone loves Marvel. They can do no wrong. And Xbox's response is, uh, bruh, we really want to focus on our own IP right now. You know, have you ever heard of Forza Gears and Halo? And so obviously I'm just hyperbolizing. I'm just kind of like dumbfounded in retrospect of how this deal went. I think if the Xbox of today could go back in time and re-ink this deal or, or ink this deal and renegotiate this deal i think they would have bent over backwards and be like and anything you want anything you want just let us make a fucking hulk ultimate destruction 2 exclusive for xbox one please god why are you so cruel that that game never happened why the fuck do we live in such a cruel world where the the green monster guy didn't get an exclusive game on the green console why but i i can't i can't believe this because you think about it, like if they had inked a deal in 2014 Conceivably, they could have had 
kind of like what happened with Marvel Spider-Man, right? They could have had a really big Marvel-exclusive Xbox game out in time to be like an Xbox One swan song. They could have had something in time for like 2018, 2019. I don't know what it would have been. Because actually the way, you know, for those who don't know, the, the, the way the story goes with how Marvel Spider-Man was made on, 20, uh, on, uh, on PS4 was actually that PlayStation had the license for Marvel and they went to their studio or they, they went to Insomniac and they said, if you could make a Marvel game based on any IP, what would, what would you make? We're, we'll give you free reign. You tell us what, what franchise you want, what IP you want to work with and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. And Insomniac came back to them with the idea of Spider-Man. It wasn't just like, oh, Sony Pictures has a great relationship with Spider-Man because we own the movie rights. You should make a Spider-Man game. Despite that speculation, that's not the story. And despite the, you know, the, the assumed relationship between Spider-Man and, and Sony, no. Insomniac said, we want free reign to make a Spider-Man game. Can we do that? Sony said yes. And they made Spider-Man 2018 and sold 20 million copies. And everyone said, wow, Xbox has no games. Fuck you. PlayStation's awesome. And now we find out all these years later, this didn't have to be this way. And it's bittersweet, right? Because, you know, any, I, I know there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are also PlayStation fans who, who have played Marvel Spider-Man. In fact, if you're a hardcore gamer, there's a really good chance you played this game because it's it sold so many fucking copies that it's conceivable you've played it. So it's conflicting because Insomniac, such an amazing developer, amazing developer. Marvel, uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2018, such an amazing game. They did such a fantastic job with it. I always say it's the spiritual successor to Sunset Overdrive. I really, really love Spider-Man 2018, and they did an amazing job with Miles Morales. I played that as well. Fantastic. I wouldn't take that back. I'm glad we have those games, but it makes me so sad knowing that PlayStation 4 got along just fine with the amount of output that console had, you know. God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us Part 2, Uncharted 4, Bloodborne, all these fucking games that just killed and killed and killed on PlayStation. Meanwhile, the Xbox One went like this. Really good Forza Horizon games. Um, Halo 5, really awesome, but people are too stupid to appreciate and enjoy it. Uh, really awesome Sunset Overdrive, uh, but people are tiny penis and, and, and played fucking Overwatch instead, and now I'm twitching just thinking about the fact that you people exist. And it, it, fucking... Uh, um, Quantum Break, an amazing game by Remedy. Such a good fucking game. Way better than Uncharted 4 if we're comparing exclusive games of a similar-ish genre. Um, but, you know, people didn't give a shit about it. Somehow they managed to pull together TV and video games into the same thing without it being cringe. I don't know how they did it. It was amazing. It was a very good game. Xbox One had a very tortured generation of just like, here are some really good games. You don't care. Here are some games that are less than impressive to a lot of people like Rise, Son of Rome. You don't care. It doesn't matter. Xbox could do no well and could do no good. Can you just imagine what would have happened if they're like a coalition? We got the license to Marvel. If you could make a game about any one of our characters, what would you make? It's like, what? Can you imagine that kind of, oh man, that alt reality? Damn it, dude. I mean it. I, w I want an Incredible Hulk game for Xbox. I want a fucking sequel to Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction. It was amazing back in the day. It can be amazing again. Let's fucking do it, right? But, uh, yeah, this, this story is... It's a painful story to think about and to, and to reflect on. But, I, dude, I, I'd, lo I'd love to hear from you guys what you think about this and just, like, how much that makes your blood boil. I mean, of course, there's there, you can... There's a silver lining to this, you know? For Sony agreeing to do this and, and getting the Marvel license and then, and then doing so well with Marvel Spider-Man, Sony's now in a pickle now where... They're kind of obligated to continue to use the Marvel license, you know? Insomniac is potentially kind of endangered uh, from ever making original games again because now 
they're they're so busy with Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine and these games are so popular and it's like I, I don't know when is when's Insomniac ever going to make an original game again I don't know so there is the silver lining there is the other perspective of we can say well at least you know because ex- because in, in most circumstances people people would say oh you know we want original content we want we don't want just sequels to everything make some original IP so that's cool so shout out and props to Xbox of 2014 for being like no no, no we want to invest in our own IP we want to invest in our own properties that that is cool because you can imagine how how hypocritical I would be if we were talking about the exact same story but instead of Marvel it was Star Wars and it was like oh man Xbox could have had the Star Wars IP because I would be sitting here telling you Thank God they didn't take that because I would be so sad if Xbox was just putting out fucking Star Wars after Star Wars game. I'd be sad. So it's subjective. It's personal. And I I understand there's probably a lot of people who look at this and they go, well, that's cool because now Xbox is making all these original games. You know, we're getting we're getting we're getting games like uh, like fucking contraband and Starfield and all this shit because Xbox is buying teams and, and investing in their teams to make their own original properties, not just, oh, look, we can also do MCU on, on Xbox. So that, that is cool, and I do appreciate and respect it, but, man, that could have been... I, I, I guess I'm not even really looking at that from the perspective of, like, as an Xbox fan, I, I would have loved that. Or I'm not looking at it from the perspective of, like, as a Marvel fan, I would have loved that. I'm looking at it from the perspective of, like, as someone who just wished Xbox One was a little more respected and better received but you know whatever i i let's let's choose to be positive about this and celebrate the fact that xbox is not now beholden to the marvel ip uh, because they they make their own games so all right let's speed it up with these last handful of stories i told you it's a big news week and it's a lot of like really fun to talk about stories but stalker 2 guys has resumed development vgc reports that gsc game world appears to have resumed development of Stalker 2 following Russia's invasion of its home country, Ukraine. In March, the uh, GSC Game World announced the development for the game had been put on hold due to the conflict in, in Ukraine. It was reported later in March that the developer was moving from Kiev to Prague. Now, speaking to the game's official Discord channel, as spotted by Polish site GRY Online, one of the company's developers responded to a fan asking the development had resumed, and he had said it continues. Stalker 2 is officially due for release in December. However, due to the current war in Ukraine, development on the project has understandably stalled, meaning that the game is likely delayed and won't probably make it out this year. Uh, GSC World um, posted a video on its YouTube page early in March confirming that uh, that Stalker 2 had been put on hold, detailing the ongoing conflict in its home country. I don't have much to say about this, but it is big news. And it's surprising news, right? Because I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but... I didn't expect this game to resume development so fast. For whatever reason, I just assumed this game was going to be kind of in a limbo state for a year-ish, at least. I, I mean, I guess I guess it was just a temporary hold until they could kind of reestablish in Prague. But I, I'm I'm pleased to see that it's in active development again, and I'm pleased to see that these guys are you know hopefully in a safer place, getting to work, continue to, to to pursue this project of theirs. It's a it's a weird. It's a weird situation with Stalker 2. I don't know how this goes now. So it's really encouraging and cool to see that they're back on the development. But honestly, this is this is such a unique case where I feel like a lot of people would agree that it's just like the bigger news here isn't like, oh yeah, they're they're working on Stalker 2 again. It's like, oh good, they're they're relocated and safe enough that they feel like they can get back to work on this project. That's the important news here. Um because I think, you know, the situation going on in Ukraine and with, and with GSC Game World, it's 
at this point, it's just like we we just want to know y'all are y'all are good. <laughs> you know, take as long as you need with the game. This is one of the more understandable pauses in development or delays a game's ever seen. So I don't know. This to me, this is just encouraging and, and uplifting to see. And there's not really much else to say to it other than it's good to see they're back at work. Hopefully, the the studio morale is 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 there still, and that they're able to really get into it. I know it can be distracting because a, a lot of these developers probably have lives and loved ones and family back in Kiev that they're they're having to you know grapple with the events what's happening in Ukraine while also working on this video game so it'll be interesting to see how this game turns out despite its its development developmental struggles but I, I'm just encouraged and glad to see these guys are able to be back at work and hopefully this this uh, bodes well for their safety and their ability to to do what, what they do best so Stalker 2, it will come out when it comes out. It's still pended for um, December, but I, if, if you're looking holding out for a December release, don't because I, I can't imagine this game isn't getting delayed due to this uh, the conflict, but really exciting stuff. And then our final news story of the week. Buckle up because even though it's the, the final news story, it's it's a little bit of a chunky chunky excerpt we got to read through here. So just buckle up and let's 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 get through this one. VGC reports that former Microsoft executive Ed Fr- uh, Freeze Fries he was in he was in that Xbox documentary. I, I keep I think they said Freeze is how you say his name. Anyway, has expressed concern over the potential impact of the company's Game Pass subscription service and what it could have on the and the impact it could have on the games industry. Speaking as part of a wider interview with Xbox Expansion Pass, Freeze, who was part of the original Xbox launch team before his departure in 2004, was asked um, what he would do and were he still part of Microsoft's gaming team. Freeze didn't give an explicit answer, but he said that he was scared of the impact Game Pass could have should it become something dominant, some dominant business model like Spotify has done to the music industry. Game Pass launched in 2017 has become central to Microsoft's gaming business, offering members access to over 100 titles in its monthly subscription. As of June, sorry, as of January this year, Game Pass has reached over 25 million subscribers, according to Microsoft. It still has a long way to go before it reaches Spotify's 182 million or Netflix's 222 million. Uh, subscriber count. In fact, it was recently estimated that the subscription service accounted for just 4% of annual games revenue in Europe and North America, compared to 65% of global music revenues, which is what um, Spotify accounts for. Now, both Microsoft and PlayStation have said that they don't believe subscriptions will ever be the dominant model for video games. However, former MS Microsoft executive uh, Ed Fries encouraged the platform holders to be careful over the business models they create saying quote the one thing that they're doing that makes me nervous is game pass game pass scares me because it's somewhat analogous it's a somewhat analogous game pass scares me because there's a somewhat analogous thing called spotify that was created for the music business when spotify took uh, took off it destroyed the music business business it literally cut the annual revenue of the music business in half the former Microsoft exec claimed it's made it's made it so people just don't buy songs anymore. People don't buy songs on iPhone, for example, because why would you? There are all the subscription services and apps, and Apple said that they're going to take away buying songs because no one buys them anymore. We have to be careful we don't create the same system in the games business. These markets are more fragile than people realize. I saw the games industry destroy itself in the early 80s, and I saw educational software business destroy itself in the mid-90s. They literally destroyed a multi-billion dollar market a few years ago. So Game Pass makes me nervous. As a customer, I love it, but as and I love Spotify as a customer. I have all the songs I'd ever want. It's a great deal as a customer, but it's not necessarily great for the industry. 
Ed went on to question whether it was possible for game developers to embrace subscription platforms to the extent that see that the, as seen in the music business, saying, "quote At some point, it's tip. At some point, it tipped, and everything had to be on Spotify. The percentages of all games that are on Game Pass is still tiny, and there are a lot of games, 200 games a week, that come out to Steam, and more and more that come out on mobile." Responding to Ed's comments, Reed Pops, head of games B2B Christopher, Christopher Dring, acknowledged concerns over the impact subscription models could have if they ever reached the scale of Spotify, but questioned whether they ever would, saying, quote, Right now, there are plenty of stories on how subscription services have added have been additive for game creators. Not only have they um, been a source for revenue in their own right, but they have immediately opened games up to millions of people. There are many examples of games that are going into the sub-service on a console, becoming hugely popular, and then causing a spike in normal $60 game sales on other platforms. The industry concerns about what might happen if the subscription service becomes more dominant, like it has been with music and TV, well, the subscription model doesn't necessarily generate revenue needed by AAA games, particularly single-player games with no microtransactions. You can see why Sony is reluctant to put its latest games on PlayStation Plus. However, games are very different than music and TV. Those linear forms of entertainment are much shorter and more digestible. How many songs or TV shows do most people consume versus games? This is the really good part. If you're someone who only plays a couple of games a year, like FIFA or Call of Duty, how likely are you to subscribe to a service with hundreds of options? It remains to be seen just how big game subscription services will become. Microsoft argues that the additional monetization opportunities in gaming differentiate it from its streaming service in other mediums, such as video on demand. Unlike on-demand streaming platforms, Game Pass users continue spending money in in-game transactions, expansion content, and on purchases of additional games the company has. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella claimed last year that Game Pass subscription play play approximately 40%. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella claimed last year that Xbox Game Pass subscribers play approximately 40% more games and spend 50% more than non-members. I tried to trim the story down a bunch because I didn't want to get too far away from what Ed Freeze had said, which was the which was the main point of the story. But I think that commentary from uh, Reed Pop's uh, Christopher D- Dring actually it kind of touches on all the things we were going to talk about anyway so I had to read it uh, wait, where to even begin with this I cannot I'm not a market analyst surprise surprise <laughs> the thing is we're so early in the days of game streaming services that it really is a bunch of speculation and he said she said about you know is Xbox profitable is Xbox sustainable is this good for the industry is this bad for the industry all this shit right we, we know Xbox Game Pass doesn't make money it doesn't is it sustainable? Yes, because Microsoft is powerful and rich enough of a company that they could hemorrhage money into Game Pass for the rest of forever, and they would be fine. So yes, Game Pass is sustainable, as Phil Spencer says. It is not profitable. It's not even close to profitable. There's no chance in hell. Games are way too expensive to make. The deals are striking with third parties are way too expensive to get to, to, to get revenue out of a $15 subscription service. And it's laughable to me when you see these Xbox fanboys on Twitter and they just go, well, $15 a month tw- times 20 million subscribers equals, well, look at that. It's like, that's not that's not how this works. Dude. I feel very confident in saying Xbox Game Pass is concerning in that it's definitely not profitable. And it's something that is so incredibly uh, impossible for any other corporation to really get involved with that... If Game Pass were hypothetically to become the Spotify of video games or the Netflix of video games, where it's so ubiquitous that you have to have it. You know, how many people do you know that don't have Spotify or don't have Netflix or something, right? It's like everyone has it. So the the thing is, if Xbox Game Pass ever got to that point, it would be concerning because Sony can't, can't afford to, to do Game Pass. Most companies can't. 
You know, the companies that can afford to do Game Pass are like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, tech companies. This is what we were talking about with the Activision acquisition months ago. It's, it's, this, it's this concern that the future is all only the biggest corporations can play the game. Everyone else has to sit out. And so, yeah, to me, that's the concern of Game Pass is that if it ever took off, it became big enough of a thing, there'd be very few people who could ever participate other than Microsoft. And I don't like that. But, but, but the concerns about Game Pass in terms of it trains your market to no longer buy games. Consumers don't buy games if they have Game Pass. And, and um, you know, like it's going to hurt PlayStation. People aren't going to buy games on PlayStation if they can just have Game Pass and all that. The thing is, that's the he said, she said, speculative. It's early days. We don't know yet. So we can only run off the anecdotal. So as someone who isn't in the know, doesn't have insider insight at all, I can tell you my personal experience. And I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of you who are Xbox gamers with Game Pass, which is probably a lot of people listening to this show. I have had Xbox Game Pass since it came out in 2017. I play new games on Game Pass almost weekly. I am constantly downloading indie games I've never fucking heard of that launch into Game Pass giving them a try, some of them I love, some of them I like, some of them I don't care about. Game Pass to me in and of itself is immediately worth it because for $15 a month, it is constantly broadening my horizons and exposing me to games I otherwise would not play. I love Game Pass for that reason. Game Pass is awesome. It does a great job of giving independent developers an opportunity to shine with with this carefully curated list of just 100 or so games at a time. It never gets too big, never gets too small. So it offers a lot of exposure to these smaller independent titles. It also really helps bolster games that fail to launch in a meaningful way. So games like Outriders that was clearly not going to to launch out the gate in a successful manner at all. It gives it an opportunity to succeed. Whether it does, does or doesn't, that's to be said, seen. But it gives it an opportunity to. Games like Guardians of the Galaxy that came out last year. It came out, not on Game Pass, sold really poorly, reviewed very well. People begged people to play it. Please, please, please play this game. It's very good. No one played it. Then it launched into Game Pass, and a bunch of people played it and said, yo, you're right, this game's actually really good. So, anecdotally, I have seen Game Pass continue to be a great, great, great force for gaming. Additionally, additional anecdotal evidence. I have had Xbox Game Pass since it came out in 2017. I would wager that I spend just as much money on video games every year, aside from my Game Pass subscription, just as much money on game uh, on video games on my Xbox every year as I spent when I didn't have Game Pass, before Game Pass was out. I buy just about the same number of video games. Now, of course, there are exceptions. Last year is the perfect example, because last year, Outriders came out, Halo Infinite came out, and Forza uh, Horizon 5. All three of those are games I would have bought day one for a full $60 on my Xbox. No qualms. No hesitation. I would have bought all three of those games day one for $60. But they all launched day one in the Game Pass, and so I got them included in my subscription. I still played them. I still enjoyed them, but I did not purchase them. However, I did still purchase plenty of other games at full price and at discount price throughout 2021. And so I can tell you for a fact... I still buy games, I still buy DLC, I still spend money in video games, despite the fact that I predominantly play on Xbox almost exclusively these days, and I have a Game Pass subscription. Conversely, I have a Netflix subscription. I only have Netflix because my T-Mobile account pays for it. Otherwise, I don't like Netflix and I wouldn't pay for it. So actually, let's not use game Netflix as an example because 
although Netflix is generally the example most people would use, I hate Netflix, so it doesn't work for me. I love, when it comes to stream video streaming services, my favorites are Hulu, Disney Plus, and HBO Max. Those are the three that I think are the best services. Right now, I have all three of those services. I never want to buy a movie again. Before streaming services were really big, especially before Disney Plus, I used to regularly regularly buy Disney Blu-ray movies, especially if they came with the digital download code. A new Disney animated movie came out, a new Pixar movie came out, a new Marvel or Star Wars came out. I would buy it, I would take the digital download code, put it in my Movies Anywhere account so I have a virtual streaming library, and keep the move, the physical DVD on my shelf. Despite the fact that I only buy digital video games, I would still buy physical media for, video, for movies. Ever since, especially Disney+, Plus, but also HBO Max and all of these services just coming out, flooding the market, I never want to buy another DVD again, ever. Spider-Man Far From Home came out uh, in December, or I guess it came out on DVD probably a few months ago, whatever. Spoiler alert, Spider-Man Far From Home features Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in that movie. That is the most important fictional character in a movie ever in my entire fucking life. If you told me in 2010 when I was crestfallen about the cancellation of Spider-Man 4 and the reboot into the Amazing Spider-Man series, that we would still yet again get to see Tobey Maguire reprise his role as Peter Parker's Spider-Man from my favorite trilogy of Spider-Man movies in the year 2021. If you ever told me that, I would tell you I'm going to buy 700 copies of the Blu-ray. I'm going to drive to Sam Raimi's house and ask for him to sign my ass crack. I'm going to drive to Kevin Feige's house and start praying to him like a god. I'm going to drive, uh, probably not drive, probably swim uh, across the Atlantic Ocean and realize that's not where Disney is, and then swim back to California and thank Disney and Sony for working out a deal to make this happen because I am such a happy person. Despite the fact that the the thing I wanted to see most my entire adult life in in, in movie history, which was just to see Tobey Maguire play Spider-Man again on screen, the fact that that actually happened, I still don't want to fucking buy Spider-Man Far From Home on DVD or Blu-ray or anything. No thanks. I'll watch it when it's on a streaming service. I'm good. I saw it in theaters. It was amazing. I love that movie. It's a great movie. I'll, I'll, I'll buy, I'll buy, I, I won't buy the movie. I'll, I'll wait for a streaming service. So it's a very long-winded Xbox on Jesse brand way of saying, anecdotally, I have Game Pass and I still buy in-game purchases, DLC, and brand new $60 games all the time on Xbox. I have HBO, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Paramount+, Plus right now because of Halo, all these subscription services, most of which I don't even use, and I have zero interest in buying a Blu-ray DVD, even if the DVD is like $7. Even if Amazon's like, guys, we're having a sale. Here are all the fucking, I don't know, here are all the Tarantino films in one box set, $7 and a $20 gift card to Chili's. Please, I'm going to say, fuck you, Amazon. I'm going to watch that on a streaming service. So that's, because the thing is, this story is so this argument is so back and forth and everyone has such a divided opinion on it that I don't want to sit here and try to have the same tired interpretation of the whole is Xbox a good thing for the industry or Game Pass a good thing for the industry is it a bad thing for the industry what do we think about Game Pass because at the end of the day all I know is I'm a Game Pass subscriber I'm a hardcore video game player I'm a big Xbox fan and Xbox still gets plenty of non-Game Pass related money from me despite the fact that I'm a day one Game Pass subscriber so that's completely anecdotal, doesn't speak for everyone, but that's in this early time period where 
game streaming services and game subscription services are so young and only a few companies have done them and only one company's really done it successfully. It's hard to say what the future is like and how it's going to go and how it's going to play out and if this is going to completely fuck over Sony or not or if it's going to create an alternate reality where only Amazon and Apple and Google can play in the space and no one else can, can afford to be there. Who knows? But this whole like because Game Pass is you subscribe to a service and get access to video games it must be like Spotify is to music or Netflix is to movies, but that's just not true. In fact, if you want to compare it to Netflix, I think the best thing to say is is actually how, isn't it impressive that Netflix can exist and people can still pay to go to the movies? Now, that's something I do still do because I, I don't buy physical movies anymore. I don't buy DVDs, Blu-rays, digital copies of movies. No. But I do still go to the movie theater. In fact, I've been a lot. I, we saw Downton Abbey last week for my girlfriend. We saw Doctor Strange the week before that. I'm looking forward to seeing the new Jurassic Park. I'm looking forward to seeing the new Thor movie. Uh, so, like, I go to the movie theaters all the time. And Netflix did not destroy that. And the pandemic did not destroy that either. If anything, the pandemic, what it's proven, really made people want to go back to the movies very, very badly. Because movies have been doing great recently. And so, I don't know. I, I think it's completely reasonable, completely grounded, and for people to be like, hey, I'm mildly weary about what the implication of Game Pass means for the industry going forward. I get that. But this whole like doomsday Game Pass is going to, uh, uh, no, games are fucked. It's going <sighs> to. Now, I have said in the past, I think Game Pass could greatly affect the way we develop games, the way people develop, you know, think about making games. Because I do think Game Pass does encourage a, a platform where you try to make your game a service. And you try to extend that game with content so that you get the player in the door through the subscription service and then you get them to pay the money later. Almost like free-to-play gaming. Halo Infinite's the perfect example. Here, you don't have to buy Halo Infinite for 60 bucks. You can just play the campaign and the multiplayer for free. Here's Game Pass. Have a good day. But eh, please buy Battle Pass. And we will have DLC down the road. That's that, We know that's what they're building the next Forza Motorsport to be like. We know So this is this is definitely a trend Xbox is going to continue to follow. Starfield is likely going to fin um, follow the general Bethesda mold where it's going to be the main game will come out. It will be on Game Pass. But then we'll have two or three really big expansion passes over a year or two of its release, after its release. And they will all cost like, I don't know, $15, $20 each. And they will not be included in Game Pass. You will get a discount for buying them if you have Game Pass, but they will not be free on Game Pass. And that's how Starfield will make its money for people who play Game Pass, is they will play the game through their subscription, and then they will buy the DLC. So, yes, it, there's a possibility Game Pass can greatly alter the way games are, de are developed and made, but I don't know, man. I just I just think we, we haven't seen enough proof that Game Pass is doing anything negative in that in that regard, and it just seems like the people who are most willing to subscribe to Game Pass are the people who are who are most willing to just play many games anyway. Like 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 that guy like like Christopher Drake said Drink says you know the the guy who and, and I say this all the time on the podcast too the guy who just plays Call Call of Duty and Madden isn't gonna need Game Pass because you just fucking buy Call of Duty and Madden. That's that's all you play. But you know if you play if you're already a hardcore gaming you play a little of everything. Game Pass, yeah, sure, it might make you not buy some games because they just happen to be in Game Pass, but it's also going to open your eyes to a lot of other games and probably just make you play more games in general. And Xbox always touts the statistic, like it ends with Satya Nadella saying, Game Pass subscribers play 40% more games and spend 50% more money than non-members. Now, those numbers kind of mean nothing because we know, well, yeah, if, if you have a Game Pass subscription, you better be playing more games because you're paying for access to all these games. 
So yeah, that that's that's a dumb number to tout. But the 50% more spending than non-members, that's twofold. Yes, one, it proves my anecdote, my my anecdote to be somewhat true and indicative of a greater trend, which is that people subscribe to Game Pass and still spend money on other things. Also, it, it tells you this that Game Pass is a subscription service that serves a more hardcore audience, and hardcore audience members are more likely to spend money on multiple games and more game-related things than more casual people who would otherwise not subscribe to Game Pass. So the numbers are a little vague just to favor Microsoft, of course. It's PR talk. But there is some some something to be gleaned from it, I, I do believe. So we'll stop talking about that now. I don't know. I don't normally analyze stories like that where I read all a story, basically ignore it, and then talk about my experience with it to kind of give you something to juxtapose and, and consider and digest. But I, I think with how obnoxious the conversation, the discourse has been over, is Game Pass good for the industry? Is it bad for the industry? Is it profitable? Is it not? This and that. I just want to tell you how, you know, the reality of what being a Game Pass subscriber has been for me and taking that information and looking at the market and being like, does it, you know, because I have Spotify and I'll admit, I, I, I'm not I'm not one of those guys that collects vinyl records. I used to collect CDs. I don't anymore. Spotify is completely... I do not buy music anymore. And I, I feel bad. I, in fact, I, I felt bad the past few times I've been to concerts because I'm like, you know, I should really buy a t-shirt or something because I don't I don't buy music anymore and I need to support my, my favorite bands. But yeah, that's... I mean, I, I've definitely contributed to the massive desolation and, and demolishment of the, the music industry. But I just don't think what's happening with, X, or with Xbox Game Pass has... Is, is really parallel or indicative of a similar story. The mediums are different enough to warrant different reactions from their audience, I suppose. But guys, that's it for all of our big news this week. I told you it's a lot. We get a chunky news week. But now let's wind down with the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not necessarily big enough to warrant their own discussion. So we just kind of you know, glide through them, get, go over them real quick. VGC reports, and we'll just rapid fire. Take-Two and Zynga have officially merged their games industry, their game industries in the biggest completed deal ever, mergers and acquisitions in gaming. So $12.7 billion deal we talked about was when it was announced a few months ago. Now it's official. It's inked. Gross. Next, VGC reports, Lord of the Rings Gollum, uh, Gollums has a release date that has been revealed. It's coming to Xbox Series S, X, PC on September 1st. No Xbox One release. Lord of the Rings Gollum. I said Gollums. Fuck off. VGC reports that Xbox Game Pass release date has released dates for Assassin's Creed Origins for Honor uh, Marching Fire Edition and uh, Marching Fire Edition or sorry for Honor Marching Fire Edition will join the Game Pass on June 1st and Assassin's Creed Origins will join the service on June 7th. This is followed by Shadowrun Returns on June 21st. The release dates were confirmed via Game Pass's coming soon section on their console, so you know they're legit. And that is going to do it for all of our news this week. Now, guys, new format for the podcast. We now close out the show with our comments, shoutouts, whatnot from you guys over in the uh, in the audience. So you know how it works. We're winding down the show with your feedback, your questions, your commentary. You go on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode. You leave a comment. You can say anything. You can say, Jesse, I love the new format. I love getting into the, the you know, the news, the fun stuff. And we have the fun conversations. And we get all about Xbox. And then once we're warmed up and we're, we've had the fun conversation, then we uh, kind of lax off and, and talk about some bullshit. Fun shit. Keep up the good work. And I'll be like, man, thanks for the commentary. I appreciate it. Or you can be a total dickhead. You can say, Jesse, 
How about instead of hiding the comments at the bottom of the show, you put them back at the top. We know you think everything's about you, and you just want to talk about you, 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 your experience, your interpretation of the news. You think you're so great, but you take us little people, us commenters, if you will, and you shove us down to the bottom of the show because you think we're less than you. You think we're, we're belittled. You think that there should be an Xbox cast system where podcast hosts are at the very top and mere listeners are nothing more than peasants. And I will say, God damn it, I never thought of it that way, but I guess you're kind of right. So with that in mind, Jay Comatose writes in again because he's writing in again. And fuck you if you're not like him and writing in again. And Jay, I don't know if you're him, so I'm sorry for assuming. But your name is the letter J, so there's not much to go off of there. New format is great. Okay, now let's talk about delays. Game companies get more bad press from a game than they do from delays. It's better to delay a game and to polish it up than to release a bad game. That's obvious. They absolutely need, they need to stop hyping up games four years before they're done. Open world action, RPG, fantasy, zombies, World War II remakes, R, remastered, sequels, prequels. What? Are game developers ruining or running out of ideas just like Hollywood is? Uh, okay, Jay... Thanks for writing in. I appreciate the comments and the feedback. Um, now, I agree. I think every everyone agrees, right? And, and that's just a summation, kind of what we were talking about last week, right? Everyone agrees, don't release an unfinished game. Delay it as long as you need to, as many times as you need to. Make sure you get the game right. Don't put out a bad product. But also, if you're not confident in your release date, don't announce your fucking release date. That That's all there is to it. It's just short and sweet and easy like that. That's all that needs to be said. But as, as for your comment and you're responding to the Techland announcement that they're working on a open world RPG fantasy something kind of game, action game. You say, are game developers running out of these ideas just like Hollywood is? I, I No, I think, well, I don't want to be little Techland because I think they're a really good developer and I like their games. But I think, especially in the AAA space, you know, games are made just like movies in the fact that market research is done, ideas are focus tested, and... You know, big publishers and big developers have an inkling of what the market likes and what's popular. Zombies are popular. Open world games are popular. RPG elements are popular. So these are things that a lot of publishers and developers aim for. This is why Halo has to be open world now. This is why Assassin's Creed has to be open world now. This is why everything has to be fucking open world now. Is because open world sells. And so if your game's not open world, your game doesn't matter. And that's not true, of course. But I think a lot of companies really harp on these things. Now, I don't mean to assume that's why Halo is open world. We know that 343 has been curious and interested in doing an open world Halo game for a long time. Originally, Halo 5 was supposed to be more open-ended like an open world game. But nonetheless, yeah, it can be tiring, tiresome at, at times because it's just like, damn, is everyone doing the same thing? But, Jay, that's that's what that, that's what indies are from, for. So thank you, indie devs. I can't speak. Thank you, indie developers. Uh, also, Jay, you said, what I'm eating this week, my wife got an air fryer, and we're air frying everything, and it's great. Jay, I am very happy for you because air fryers are phenomenal. I had a out-of-body experience when I first got my air fryer, and I'm glad to see you're having one as well. Please enjoy the air fryer. Be safe with it, though. They are dangerous. You wouldn't want to air fry your face or something like that. Andy Crawley writes in and says, Hey, Jesse, love the new format. Comments are good to have at the end. Ellipses. I like eating... Why, why you gotta write it like that, Andy? Comments are good to have at the end. Ellipses. It's almost like you're saying, oh yeah, comments are good to have at the end. I guess. Like, thanks for shoving me down to the bottom of the show. Andy, please, I'm just one man. I'm trying to please everyone. Go easy on me, Andy. No, but... 
I'm misconstruing your comment, of course. I, I joke. Thank you, Andy, for writing in. You said, I eat, I, I like eating cereal while listening to the podcast, while listening at night. It is weird. Is, is this weird? Your show is a wealth of knowledge. Keep it up. How was the new Mountain Dew drink you tried last week? Red Z or Yellow Z? CSR talk. I am... I'm too stupid to know what that last part is, so please uh, feel free to write in and let me know what the fuck that means. But uh, I didn't try the new Mountain Dew drink. I said I was going to, and I didn't. In fact, this morning I was driving to work, and I was like, you know, I'm like five minutes early today. I could pull over into this Circle K and see if they have the new Mountain Dew flavor. I should, I should, I should, and I kept driving and passed it because I, d- I really didn't want to stop and get out of my car. So I- I'm-, I'm hoping to get around to it, but I- I- I'll let you know if and when I do. Uh, thank you for writing in, Andy. Have a great week. And take care. You're handsome. Your profile picture is a motorcycle, so I assume you're incredibly handsome. Wes H. writes in and says, Hey, Jesse, new format is great. Just want to say thank you for your help in Disney. You are, in fact, a good dude. That is all. That, that's because, of course, Wes, um, I helped him plan his fairy tale wedding for his Disney magical wedding, and he got married, and it was awesome. And that's not a true story, but it gives you some imaginary context for why he said that. So thank you for writing in, Wes. I appreciate the feedback, and I appreciate your support. I hope you have a great day. Take care of your family, and I see I see that doggy. I see I see your doggy sometimes on the Instagram. Please, pet that doggy. Mexican pizza. Let's talk about it because Mister Malg wrote in and said, I, "I love this, Mister Miggy Malg." Doesn't matter. I'm just gonna keep fucking up your name, so you're like, "Fuck it." I'm just I'm Mister Malg now. Who gives a shit? You said actually, Jesse, because you told me to change my picture to a W R R R B W B R Z. What a W R X B R Z. I decided to change it to a Neptune Blue G R eighty six. Fuck you. BRZ over the GR86, although they're both great. Uh, and they're both the same fucking thing. Although the, the new Nissan Z would have been a great idea for a picture, I want the car. I want that car as well. All right, Mr. Mal, we just got to put our money together, man. We go we go halvesies on one of these things, man. I'm telling you. All right, now into the important topic. The Mexican pizza at Taco Bell. I feel like it's better with less beans and more cheese. In fact, when I used to work at Taco Bell, I would like to make it with chicken instead of beef, which, of course, extra cheese on top, pico de gallo. Back when Taco Bell still had that, I missed the creation of mine. I did not know Taco Bell ever had pico de gallo, actually, so that's news to me. And, of course, chicken instead of beef is always a must. But for my first time having the Mexican pizza, I had to have it default because I need to have context for what it's supposed to be. But I I think just based on my preferences and what you're describing, everything you just said sounds like a far superior product. Less beans because mine also had too many beans. Chicken instead of beef, I love it. I actually don't like pico de gallo because I fucking hate cilantro, but I I love the idea of dicing up some onions and tomatoes and throwing them in there, so that's, that's good with me. Uh, controversial take please don't get mad but mr mag i love you have a great weekend and please for the love of god if you're gonna buy a, a, a brz and drive it on over here let me try it out please is phil spencer our god yes or no Cronky writes in and poses the question not really but kind of he says so this week i saw that the director of the original god of war game said that phil spencer is a visionary but a bad manager i know you've talked about that impossible uh, that possibility before do you still feel that way and for those who don't know, original creator of God of War, uh, David Jaffe, really prominent on YouTube and, and, and Twitter these days with just his uh, hot takes. Very fun guy to follow along. I highly recommend it if you don't follow him on Twitter or on YouTube. He's, 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 he's a very compelling guy, interesting guy. Uh, but Kronky continues and says, I used to believe that, but I've been thinking about it and I've changed my mind. Look at where we where Xbox was when we stepped when he stepped in as the head and where it is now. In the beginning, the game was 
In the beginning, a game was bad by definition if it was an Xbox game, or at least it was ignored, like Quantum Break or Halo 5. They never got a chance because they were Xbox games. Today, the general conversation with Xbox is very positive, with people liking Game Pass and wanting to, Halo, and wanting to like Halo and being generally excited. Change for a big organization takes a long time, but I think he's pulling it off. I get that there have been missteps, but in general, the general direction is positive, so I think he's a keeper. Um, hmm. This this comment actually kind of plays in nicely to what we were talking about earlier with the whole um, Xbox turning down Marvel in 2014. Because that's around the time Phil Spencer stepped into the role, actually. Uh, I think it was 2014, um, earlier in the year, perhaps. Here's the thing, <clears throat> and this goes into the whole, I'm not an industry insider, I don't work at Xbox. So my, uh, my understanding is so outsider-oriented and so limited but I've got to say, as much as I hate admitting this, because I genuinely like Phil Spencer. Like, I would love... Uh, Phil Spencer is a person I would love to shake the hand of and say, thank you. Like, th seriously, thank you for your contributions to this platform that means a whole lot to me. Like, I really love Xbox. Xbox is a really important part of my life. And you have been such a positive, positive force for Xbox. Like, I really respect and admire Phil Spencer. That is a genuine sentiment. And I really do think he's done some amazing things. And I really think Xbox became infinitely more likable and appreciable, if, if that's not a word, once, once Phil Spencer um, stepped up to the role. That said, it is hard to go ahead and be like, well, look where Xbox is today. Even though, of course, it's number two to PlayStation. People like it. People love Game Pass. Xbox has a very goodwill brand kind of name where every where everyone thinks, oh, man, they always do the good thing. They're always so pro-consumer. They care about their audience. Look at their preservation of games and their backwards compatibility. And they're always bumping up the specs of old games for no reason for free just because why not? And, you know, their, their, their backwards compatibility features with like, you know, uh, sorry, what, no, no, what is it? Not quick resume. What's the fucking feature? The uh, whatever. When when a game like automatically is Xbox Series X, whatever the fuck it is. I'm trying to say. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm my brain's shutting down. It's it's late. And I'm, I've been talking a long time. But anyway, with all the things Xbox has done to turn the ship around, make things positive. People think Halo Infinite's fun despite its many flaws. All the very good things that have come to Xbox. Phil Spencer definitely deserves a lot of credit for these things. A hundred percent. But he alone is not the reason for all these things, although Game Pass, I think, is is his baby, so maybe that one he really is responsible for. <clears throat> but the thing is, I think, unfortunately, and I don't mean to, like, take away his accomplishments, but I think a lot of the goodwill garnered at Xbox right now simply has to do with the fact that a new console generation took place. And if you look at the history of video games, that is a thing that consistently happens. Everyone hated Wii U. But Switch came out and was a lot more of a mainstream, appealing, pro-consumer kind of device. And now you would never know that Nintendo launched a, a console that bombed because Switch is so ungodly successful. PlayStation 3 had a really rough start. PlayStation 3 is always the best example because PlayStation 3 had a very Xbox One kind of history. They really fucked up the marketing. They really took advantage of their consumers. In fact, people would still would talk, would still regard PlayStation 3 as a nightmare of a situation. Um, the way it actually was if PlayStation 3 happened around the time where social media was as prominent as it was when Xbox One happened. Because I know people love to always TV, 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 Call of Duty, TV, sports, you know, oh, always online. We have we have a console that can play offline. It's called Xbox 360. Like these quotes, these moments in Xbox history will forever be held against Xbox, no matter how many good things they do. But keep in mind, 
if Twitter were the hellscape existence that it were that it that it is today, back in two thousand six, when PlayStation was like, oh yeah, uh, the PlayStation Three costs six hundred dollars. It's so good you'll get a second job to buy one. You know, if that PlayStation said that, that's a real thing that happened. This isn't like a console war combative thing, but like that's a real thing that happened. But People just don't remember as fondly because it happened in a world where, yeah, we had YouTube and MySpace and the internet, of course, but, like, people weren't, like, it wasn't like Twitter where it was like, oh, something happened. Let me go online and try to be the most toxic human being I can possibly fathom, okay? I see that this famous person who I'll never know in my entire life said something I mildly disagree with. How can I try to be the most attention-grabbing, hogging, snarky-ass, miserable fuck on the entire internet? Uh, let me spend two hours staring at my fucking iPhone 12 Max trying to, trying to construct the perfect tweet. That world didn't exist when PlayStation 3 came out. Thankfully. Thankfully. So, the reason I bring that up is just to say, PlayStation 3 spent its entire generation trying to make up for its, its out-the-gate stumble. And it did so by making so many good games and putting out so much good first-party content. And by the end of the PS3 generation, it was like, dude, PlayStation 3 fucking rocks. But consumers didn't look at it that way. Because, especially here in the States, where you know where most of us live... I, I, sorry, that's statistically most of the listeners live in the U.S. I'm not trying to act like the U.S. is the only th- market that matters. So to international listeners, I'm not trying to be a dick. But, you know, to a lot of us here in, in, in the U.S., it didn't matter. Xbox won that generation. Xbox 360 was awesome. PlayStation 3 sucked. But why did PS4 win so much? Because a console generation, a new console generation is, a, is an opportunity for reorienting the entire battlefield, the entire playing field. And I think a lot of the goodwill with Xbox right now simply has to do with the fact that Xbox Series X was a reset for Xbox. Hey, here's a new console. It's the most powerful console ever made. We're not forcing you to buy Connect. Yes, it's expensive, but if you want a cheaper one, we have that too. Here's Game Pass. It's awesome. Here's a new Halo game. It looks awesome. Hey, guys, it's all about the gamers. We're really just focused on the games. Here are some video games. That was the Xbox Series X. And so I think for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, the most powerful console ever made. Whoa. Game Pass is only 15 bucks a month, and I get all these games included. Whoa, Xbox is... Bro, Xbox is... Eh, bro. When I was tweeting about how much I hated Quantum Break and, and Sunset Overdrive and Halo 5 a few years ago, I didn't realize Xbox Series X was going to be so cool, bro. So Xbox Series X was a reset and an opportunity for them to get back on track, and I think that has a lot to do with why Xbox is so loved right this minute. That's not Again, that's not to take away the fact that Phil Spencer definitely put in some legwork. Game Pass is arguably his baby. Um, all these studio acquisitions, Bethesda, all this kind of big stuff, that's a lot of that is Phil Spencer. So I want to give him credit for these things, but Game Pass, getting Bethesda, constantly focusing on being pro-consumer and preserving games and backwards compatibility and all these amazing things Phil has been a part of or, or spearheaded kind of means nothing if at the end of the day you can't fucking get all these teams into shape and put these games out. That's the problem with Xbox. It's like you just show games, show games, show games. Game never comes out. Game gets delayed. Game finally comes out. Game's underwhelming. Game's improperly produced, over budget. What is this? How did this happen? And that story is way too common at Xbox right now for me to say, oh yeah, Phil Spencer's the right man for the job. I think, here, let me pull my Disney, let me pull my Disney nerd fandom um, into the mix. I think Xbox needs a Michael Eisner, Frank Wells duo. I think, yeah, Frank Michael Eisner was the CEO of Disney during the era where Disney was its best, which is my childhood. 
That is clearly not nostalgia-driven. That is fact. But, yeah, Michael Eisner, very, very famous uh, CEO of the Walt Disney Company during the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. He's, in hindsight, you know, during his later years, he was seen as a controversial figure. But when he was first brought into the company, he was brought with his his buddy, Frank Wells, um, who was kind of like his balance. So the 80s and 90s Disney, or I, I should say like late 80s through the 90s, particularly the 90s, Disney is seen as like the best decade from Disney in terms of their studio output, their theme parks, everything, their branding, just being the most and best Disney has ever been. And Michael Eisner, especially in my book, gets gets the award for making the best Disney Disney ever was. But Frank Wells, his partner in crime, tragically died, actually. Um, I forget when it was like the late 90s. I don't remember when that was like 96, 97. Um, he, he died like on vacation, like in a helicopter crash. He was like on a skiing trip or something. It was really something really tragic and sad like that. But anyway, I bring that up to say after that, uh, the remaining years, Michael Eisner ran the Walt Disney company into the early two thousands. He, he stepped, he, he, he got out of the position in Oh six, I think. And uh, basically through that part, Disney kind of went through a dark age where the movie studios started like kind of falling into disarray. The theme parks stopped getting investment. The company got into a lot of financial trouble. They stopped pumping money into things. The parks started getting worn down and, and un, un, unkept properly, unproperly kept, and just all these things. A lot of people regard the early 2000s as kind of a dark period for Disney because Michael Eisner kind of lost it and couldn't hold, couldn't handle the company by himself. Very Xbox on, very Jesse, long-winded, unnecessary way of saying, I think Xbox kind of has, not an ex- a one-to-one, but a similar situation where I feel like Phil Spencer is like 60, 70% of a really perfect CEO. But he needs another guy. He needs a he needs like a right hand man or like a or like an equal who is so good at team management or just production and and, and leading teams because that's Phil Spencer's weakness. He's done so many great things. He's done so many things in gaming that other other companies just cannot and have not done. You know, with the way he's turned around Xbox, with Game Pass, with his pro consumer messaging, everything. But he needs someone to balance him out and, and be the guy to roll it, rein it back in and be like, yo, Phil, we're about to fucking buy Activision and you're about to be the CEO of gaming, whatever the fuck that means. But we can't even get Bethesda and our internal teams under control. Look at what's going on with fucking Undead Labs. Look at what's going on with 343. Look at what's going on with fucking Bethesda and Starfield. Look at what's going on with all of our teams. We can't get that under control. So why the fuck are we bringing Activision, Blizzard and all that shit into the fold as well? And, and that's that's why I just can't give Phil a perfect, like, oh, yeah, he's, he's the guy. Do I like Phil? Yes. Do I want us to continue to see Phil in charge? Yes. But I, I think the guy's a little in over his head. I probably could have said that whole thing, like, 20 minutes shorter than I did. But that's that's my unnecessarily long-winded response. Now let's wrap up with some more fun miscellaneous comments. Uh, let's talk about Aussie food. Rebecca, I'm going to fuck this up because I, I can't pronounce simple things. Rebecca Daunt writes in and says, hey, really enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, would you be willing to try some Australians' best snacks if I were to send some to you? If I were to send, yeah. Also, you were right talking about Fallout 76 a few weeks ago saying you couldn't get into it. Also, you were talking about Fallout 76 a few weeks ago saying you couldn't get into it. Have you tried playing it with friends? On that topic, would you ever share your gamer tag and play some Xbox favorites with your listeners? All right. Well, thank you for writing in, Rebecca. I, I believe this is the first time you've written in, so I, I appreciate your inquiry, or yeah, your inquiry and, and your feed, and your uh, and your kind words. Anyway, so a couple things. I I would be willing to try some Australian snacks. Absolutely. I I would I I would feel so bad if someone ever sent me anything. Uh, so I what I would rather do is if you have some recommendations of some snacks I should try, 
I would gladly go and order them. Uh, I, I don't know. I like trying weird things. Again, big Disney fan. I live right next to Epcot, which has uh, 11 different countries represented from around the world, and it imports all these snacks and fun treats. I, I love going to Epcot, like going to the Japan v- Pavilion and being like, oh, this is a weird imported snack. Let me try that. Or, you know, you go to like the uh, Norway Pavilion and try something weird and funny over there. Uh, just because it's it's fun to try different things. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I'd, I'd rather no one ever send me anything or do anything. I, I I ask people on Twitch never to subscribe with Prime or anything because I just I don't 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 give me things. Don't don't be nice. But um, yeah, I would I would be I would be open minded to that uh, for sure. I think I don't know Australian food's good. I've had Australian food, kinda. It's good. Yes. Recommend me some snacks. That's all I gotta say. That anyway. Talking about the real stuff. So Fallout seventy six. Funny story, Rebecca. <laughs> Uh, a long time ago on the stream, uh, Twitch stream we do Monday nights, I tried Fallout 76, and I played it with Kronky. I played it with my brother, Josiah, and I threw a little hissy fit because I, I couldn't figure out what to do. I was having a bad time. I sucked at the game, and I was like, this game sucks. Fuck this game. I'm not having a good time, and I never played it again. And so I haven't come back to it. I'd like to come back to it, but it is so far down my priority list right now just because... I'm I have so many other games I'm currently like interested in and if I want to get back to Fallout I actually really want to get back to Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4 I never finished a Fallout game so it's stressful I've started three a million times I've made it pretty far into four and never beat it I've started Fallout uh, New Vegas a couple times and never played it so I, I I want to play Fallout 76 but realistically it's it's not even the Fallout game I'm 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 most needing to get back to. So realistically, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think you're right. I think playing with friends is the way to go. I need to seriously sit down and try to focus on it and give it a real try. But lastly, um, yeah, my gamer tag is uh, what is my gamer tag? I need to change my gamer tag. It's dated. Uh, it is second best zero four S E C O N D B S T zero four. Uh, you can yeah you can add me follow me on Xbox yeah I'm I'm always up to play uh play Crossfire or Halo or whatever it is you guys want to play yeah I mean if 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 you ever see me online feel free to invite me if I don't respond it means I'm probably watching Netflix or YouTube or something but um yeah absolutely feel free to add me on Xbox I appreciate you writing in Rebecca have a great week and uh, let's wrap up with our truly nonsensical comments Sam Torres. My boyfriend, if you will, because I love his comments, writes in and says, Beyond a baker's dozen, you do a great job presenting news, theories, opinions that are very relatable. Jesse, you committed to de- you're, you're committed to delivering a show for us and not following the pack. But more than that, you are a friend much like Colin and Greg were back in those IGN Beyond podcast days. At episode 156, you'll have been doing this for three years. First episode I listened to, you said you had all of our social security numbers <laughs> and some bot commented and said that they loved you. Sharonda or something like that. Great times. Remarkable. Great work on the show. Oh, making the show what it is and bringing Xbox on all the way without any death threats. Sam Torres, thank you so much. That is a genuinely, truly very kind comment and I really appreciate it. Also, for those deeply confused, Beyond Baker's Dozen, these are references to a old IGN podcast, um, a PlayStation podcast. But, um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. That is that that is the that is the greatest kind of feedback I could ever I could ever or the the kindest I I don't want to say feedback because I'm not I don't need to hear people say nice things to me that it, um that's not something that I'm owed or or need but it is something that is incredibly appreciated and incredibly kind of you to provide so thank you for that but uh, <laughs> I I did I did threaten the audience and say early on in the show that I had everyone's social security number and Sam Torres. Don't fucking test me on that because it is 
very possible that I do have your soul. I, I'll never forget it because I laughed so hard at like how people actually responded to that. I think that was probably one of the first obscure obscure things I ever said that like the audience actually reacted to. And so many people wrote in about me apparently threatening to compromise uh, everyone's social security number. And and I'll never forget one person wrote in and was like, yo, I'm Australian. We don't have social security numbers. I'm like, fuck you. I have your number. I have your address. I know where your mom like just all this stuff. I don't even remember why I said that. I think I was like I was like jokingly threatening people saying like you have to comment in and leave nice reviews or I will share your social security number. I don't remember. But yeah, good times, man. Thanks thanks for being there for uh, along the ride all this time. I, re- I really appreciate it, Sam. And then finally, Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Purple Thunder, finally got my hands on it. Tastes like grape, big chew gum. Oh, Headhunting Halo, thank you for reminding me. That answers Andy Crawley's comment. Yes, that is the new Mountain Dew flavor that I, I meant to try and haven't tried. Purple Thunder, Tastes like great big chew gum. I don't, oof, pretty damn good. I'm ready to play the quarry. I've been playing a lot of Switch, ripping through the sports games, tearing through all eight, those eight-year-olds. I reign supreme, supreme. By the way, Toasted Chalupa at Taco Bell is the shit. All right, Headhunting Halo. I, I love your nonsensical comments, as always. I don't, dude, I, I hate artificial grape flavor. So now, now you got me worried about this Purple Thunder Mountain Dew because I love grapes. I enjoy wine. I fucking hate artificial grape i hate grape grape juice grape soda grape candies so now i'm worried that i'm not gonna like it but mountain dew made a grape soda a long time ago called pitch black they made it two or three different variants of it over the years that was in the early 2000s actually the last one they ever did was in 2012 so they did it somewhat relatively recently but um pitch black is the only artificial grape thing i ever liked it literally tasted like great mountain dew and it was so good so if this tastes anything like great mountain dew or violet which is that great mountain dew flavor that's exclusive to japan if it tastes like anything like either of those i'll be pretty excited but thank you for writing in head hunting halo and guys that's it that's it for our comments this week remember for next week you know where to comment you know how to get in there don't be shy reply And uh, that's it for our whole podcast. Guys, I appreciate you. As always, let me know what your thoughts are on some of those stories that that we went over in the news. I think some pretty interesting talking points. I'd love love to hear from some of you guys. Um, Let me know some weird snacks I can try. Although, I don't mean to be be mean. That's not to insinuate Australian snacks are weird. That's the incorrect term to use. Um, There's nothing weird about Australian snacks. It's just, I mean, different. And uh, my lack of vocabulary has me just knee-jerk say weird when that's not what I mean at all. But thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening this week. I feel like I need to find a new way to close. And closing on comments, it just feels weird to me. So as a reminder, if you guys ever want to follow along uh, when I'm not doing the podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. That's a way you can reach out to me if you ever want to. Um, every Monday night, we are on Twitch at Lightning Extreme on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Lightning Extreme. This past week, we played Tron 2.0. We're usually playing some Halo or Zombies or something like that. So we're always having a good time there. Appreciate you guys for hanging out on stream. And then, of course, please rate this show on iTunes or Spotify if you can. It really, really helps. I was looking at my statistics for like the first time in a long time. And God almighty, Apple Podcasts comprises a massive amount of the listenership of the show. And so if you guys could be so kind as to leave a iTunes review, talk about how my hair looks nice, even though it's an audio-only podcast so you can't see my hair, I don't care. I'd appreciate it. Guys, have a wonderful week. Take care. Stay safe. If you're in the States, it is a holiday weekend, so enjoy your uh, extended weekend. God bless all of you, unless you are an alien, of course, and or a PlayStation fan. Until next week, don't be shy. Reply, power your dreams, and wash behind your ears.